Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Karan Butler, two-time All-Star NBA champion, joining you here on Fox Sports Radio. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free free quote, a free rate quote. Get my words jumbled there uh, today. What's up, Karan? We've been apart for two weeks, man. What's going on? Oh, doing good, man. Uh, having an excellent time, just enjoying everything. And uh, back in Milwaukee right now, it's excited to be home. A rainy day, but everything's good. Dad, we're both in the Midwest. I'm here in Cleveland, uh, here for uh, Game Three and Four of this Cavaliers series. Uh, the Bucks they just made a big hire. We'll talk more about uh, that a little bit later in the show. Mike Budenholzer uh, becoming the new head coach uh, of the Milwaukee Bucks, but a lot of basketball to get into today, as usual, and. 
you know, last night, Karam, we had another blowout. This time, though, the Celtics were on the receiving end. 116 to 86 uh, for the Cavaliers in a game that honestly wasn't close from like the five-minute mark of the first quarter. That was when the Cavs had a double-digit lead. Boston's going to the bench for like Gershon, Yabuselli. They're checking in Greg Monroe. They were trying everything, and nothing was working for them last night. I was impressed by Cleveland, though. I mean, the Cavs, you knew you were going to get their best shot. Game three, a team down 0-2. You always get the home team's best shot, but they came out. They had balanced offense, six guys in double figures. LeBron uh, played great. They kind of breathed some life back into this series, Karan. That's exactly what happened. You know, uh, you know, road guys usually always play extremely well at home, and that's exactly what you saw. You saw some of those guys, you know, account for 89 points of, in the game, and then LeBron, his workload was so, you know, it was trim. You know, he didn't have to do so much. You know, going out there and pretty much embodying everything was good about having the ultimate teammate and scoring, you know, high efficient points in the half court in transition rebounding the ball, assisting the ball. And, you know, this time, you know, the others, you know, stepped up uh, significantly. And it was just – it was excellent to see that and, you know, see a series, you know, made out of this. But best believe the young Thundercats of the Boston Celtics, those guys took notice to everything that happened and they held themselves accountable. I I, I love hearing post-game interviews where Mm -hmm. you listen to the young, talented stars and – you know, uh, Tatum and Brown and Horford and Scary Terry, you know, those guys are talking about correcting themselves and how they can be better going forward. So it's going to be an interesting game for. You know what I, I think when I watched the Cavs last night was why can't we see this version of the Cavs every single night? I mean, offensively, they've shown all year long that they're capable of having these types of outbursts, right? That, you know, guys like Smith and Corver and Love. They can produce. Even George Hill, who had a terrific first quarter, kind of set the tone uh, for that team. He's been able to put some numbers up uh, offensively. But defensively, they were just flying around everywhere. I thought they did a great job, especially in that first quarter, on Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown has been the breakout star for the Celtics uh, of this series and probably for the entire playoffs. I uh, had 23 points apiece in Game 1 and Game 2. Just two points in the first half of this game last night, 10 overall. They did a great job of taking Jalen Brown out of this mix. And, you know, you look at him, Corona, and why can't they do this all the time, Cleveland? Why can't they keep, why can't they put this type of performance together on a more consistent basis? Being consistent in the playoffs is extremely hard. Now, regular season is different because, you know, you, you, you plan, you're paying attention to, you know, KYP, that's know your personnel, you're watching things, players' tendencies, and so forth. But every possession matters so much more in the playoffs. It's a possession ball game. So now, you know, you know Kyle Corver, he he can't have any airspace. He cannot create shot opportunities. You know all these guys' tendencies and you're even dialed in to the highest degree. So therefore it makes you it makes it even harder for these guys to be efficient and productive. But the sense of urgency has risen. The home team and the others always perform at a high level. And that's exactly what you saw. It was a counter to, you know, what was displayed at TD Garden in Boston. Now they have to respond to the counter of what the Cleveland Cavaliers manufactured and put on display in Game 3. As much as we believe that, the, the, the I mean, the Celtics are kind of the storybook team, right? This team that uh, it could pull off one of the most improbable finals runs in recent history. They've got to prove they can win on the road. They won one road game 
in these playoffs. That was that that uh, nail biter in in uh, Philadelphia in Game Three of that series. But they have been steamrolled in a couple of games on the road in the playoffs against Milwaukee. Game Three, they were blitzed last night in Cleveland. They were run over. Terry Rozier is a different player on the road. Uh, you know, Brown had his had a terrible game, but he's got to play better in that type of setting. The defense has been has been uh, night and day at home versus the road. I mean, the, to be a winning team, you've got to put together wins in the playoffs, and they're not playing with one, one thing that surprised me about this team last night, Karan. There was no urgency from the opening tip. They played like that they could just cough up this game and still be fine to win this series. You can't think like that. If you're the Celtics, you don't have the firepower to just play lazy isolation basketball. You don't have the uh, the, the defensive skills, the defensive horses uh, to just allow LeBron to dictate the pace of that game. They played lazy last night. They played apathetically last night. And look, you give LeBron an inch, he's going to get back into the series. I still still think Boston's the favorite. I think they're going to come out uh, much better with a different game plan in Game 4. But if you allow LeBron to take Game 4 and get some momentum back and get some of his guys to get some confidence in them headed back to Boston, this is still the Cavaliers series to win. Yeah, it's a wide-open series still. You know, Boston did exactly what they were supposed to do. You know, they took care of home court. But, you know, with young teams, and we saw it in the Boston series in the 76ers, they celebrated too early. They looked they, they looked too far ahead. They uh, start sipping their own Kool-Aid. Uh, people telling them that they was, you know, pretty good, and they start listening to it a little bit too much. You know, you almost have to police yourself as much as possible in the locker room. You got to continue to look at the goal at hand, you know, quarter by quarter, possession by possession, and obviously game by game. And you're playing against this generation's, you know, uh, ultimate player. And you cannot look past him because he know how to win. He knows exactly what he needs to do to get over the hurdle. I tell you what, Tristan Thompson continues to be a problem. Just a big problem for the Celtics. I mean, look, he's been one of the the, the more unexpected stories of this entire postseason. I mean, the fact that he came off the bench or uh, started in Game 7 at Indiana Series after not really playing in, uh, in much of it prior and then becoming a force in the playoffs. He was less a factor in that uh, second-round series against Toronto, but in this series... 21 minutes in Game 1, 30 minutes in Game 2, 23 minutes last night uh, in the blow, 10.7 rebounds, got to the free throw line four times, made all of his free throws. I don't know where this Tristan Thompson's been for the last couple of months. Maybe the off-the-court stuff, the Kardashian stuff, that's gotten to him a little bit, but uh, he's becoming, uh, once again, a major problem for Al Horford and the Celtics. Whenever there's a switch and Thompson winds up on a smaller guy, he just bulldozes his way to the glass and, and just grabs offensive rebounds. And the Cavs, this was the game that they controlled the glass. This was the game that we thought they were going to play for the first couple, where they dominated on the inside, were physical, second-chance points. The Celtics out-rebounded the Cavs in the first two games of the series. They were run over, 45-34, to 34, I think the number was, on the glass. If the Cavs can assert themselves like that physically, they're going to be tough to stop. Yeah, they re- they really are, and, and, and they have to be consistent. That I mean, we, we, we keep continue to say the same thing. They have to be consistent, but can they be consistent? The only thing that's favorable for the Cavs, and I think J.R. Smith touched on it, is that you have these pockets and windows of time where you can rest up as much as possible, and then they all you know, are honest with themselves. Look, we can't put the burden of LeBron to carry this team night in and night out to be a superhero. He is that, but... He cannot do this, you know, entire playoff series. At some point, 
you know, the basketball guys is going to let the ball bounce in our favor, which they which they did last ga- last game, and they score 89 points for them. But they have to have their fingerprints on this game somehow, some way. And it can't be a one-man wrecking crew. All right, a lot to get into today. We'll talk more about the Celtics uh, and the Cavs. LeBron James, his performance. Can the Cavs duplicate what they did last night? Can the Celtics put together a different game plan, more effort to get a 3-1 series lead? We'll dive to that a little bit later on. We'll talk more about the Warriors and the, and the Rockets. The Rockets, after looking terrible in Game 1, they salvage Game 2. Now that series shifts back to Oakland tonight. We'll see if the Rockets can keep that momentum going as well. We'll talk some football. Johnny Manziel, he signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, or plans to sign with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. Is that the right move? And of course, uh, the Supreme Court clearing the way for states to legalize sports gambling. How big a deal is that uh, for the NBA? We'll talk to Karan about that. Uh, later in the show. When we come back, though, Mark Wahlberg, the actor, he's going to join the program. He's got uh, something going on with Karan Butler that we'll dive into. We'll do that next. Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Yahoo Sports, Karan Butler, two-time All-Star NBA champion. A lot more to get into. We'll talk to you more about this, uh, the Warriors and the Rockets a little bit later on the show. Johnny Menzel, he's got a new job, or he's going to have a new job. In the CFL, and of course, we'll pivot back to Boston Celtics uh, Cavaliers game three of that or game four of that series coming up on Monday. I was in Chicago this past couple of days, Karan, at the combine. The combine's become pretty useless. Like really, it is. Like nobody. Now I won't say nobody goes anymore, but the top players don't participate. Uh, the interview process is whittled down to like 20, 25 minutes. I don't, you know, it, it's it's honestly become like a socializing event where yeah. like executives that don't see each other for a long period of time and media members like me who don't get a lot of face time with all these executives, <laughs> everybody's in one place and we all wind up at a bar somewhere hanging out. Yeah, it's like Cheers. Yeah, you know, everybody <laughs> really gets chances to get out the house and you know do whatever. But you know, it's it's crazy that everything is so selective. Like yeah. where the the guys come out there and listen, if you display a talent or you have a talent that's better than everyone else's. Go out there and do it. Like, mm-hmm. we all know that, you know, your arms are long and your fingers are long and things like that. But go out there and display your talent because you're not going to be able to pick and choose what cities you play in. Go out there, play, compete a little bit, let people see you. And, you know, it is what it is. Like, it's basketball. It's like, it's not nothing crazy. And I know everybody's trying to watch their investment. They don't want to, you know, show their flaws or whatever the case may be. But listen, you know, guys done they due diligence already. They know enough about you. And just have fun, enjoy the process. You know, it's it, it's the problem with you know criticizing guys for not participating in the combine is that there's really been proven to be no downside to skipping it. Like if you're DeAndre Ayton, right, the projected one or two pick in the draft, um, is your stock going to go up if you if you uh, you know play in the combine? I mean, really, there's only the only place you can go is down. Because if Aiton all of a sudden, you know, tests poorly athletically, if he plays in the five on five and some kid from like Western Kentucky kicks the crap out of him, uh, it, it's just going to look bad for him. So uh, until there comes a time, Karan, where a, a guy, you know, goes through the combine and sees his stock appreciably rise, you're just going to have more and more guys skip because their agent's going to tell them, like, you know, I, I have you projected in the top five. It's not going to move one way or the other, or it's not going to move up if you play if you go through the combine. You know, get away from it. Don't do it. I, I think more and more we're going to see uh, guys decide to skip this combine. I totally think so too. And you know, it's it's unfortunate because I felt like the combine was so you know tradition. You know, it's a part of it. And you know, they need to merge the combine. And 
obviously, uh, you know, the players, uh, the what, what what do they call it? You know, they call it the the the, the rookie transition program. Yeah. Work. They need to have all that in one. So mm. now you have NBA guys there, current and former, and you make it more of a bigger bigger event. So it's not just one thing, and it's like the carrot that gets everybody to come to the city. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's I. I just I think the combine is going to become less and less relevant. What do you remember about your combine experience? Did you go? Yeah, absolutely. I went. Um, I did all the testing. Uh, and I, I I was ready to compete. Uh, they they didn't have like the pickup games or anything like that. But what we did have was just a lot of you know this testing and mm-hmm. you know jumping and whatever strength tests you know everything. Well, I participated in everything. You know the the see what what happens when when guys go through this and they test poorly athletically is that their stock drops. I mean I remember Rudy Gobert a couple of years back when he went through the combine. I just remember people looking at him and say, wow, he's not really that athletic. Wow, he doesn't run the floor as well as I thought he did. All of a sudden, the doubts start to creep in. You look, you think about the competition he played over in Europe, uh, and it cost him, I think. I mean, he fell, I think, to 27, I want to say, in his draft year. People overreact to what they see in, um, in, uh, in these combine drills. Yeah, they really do. And, you know, it is what it is, and you just have to have tough skin and, you know, Hopefully they they make the right decision. Yeah, yeah, no no doubt about that. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll talk more about the combine and uh, everything else. But Karan, I don't think a lot of people or enough people know your story. You have one of the best stories of any athlete that I've ever covered uh, back in the day. You wrote a book about all this stuff, uh, and you're going to have a movie about this coming up. And the guy that's producing that movie, starring in that movie, is Mark Wahlberg, the Academy-nominated actor. You know him from all great sports movies like Invincible and The Fighter, among others. And Mark joins us here on the show. Mark, Chris Maddox, and your guy, Karan Butler. What's happening, man? Hey, guys. How are you, man? So let me ask you this. Why did you want to be part of the Karan Butler story? Uh, Well, Karan and I became friends before I'd actually heard his story. And then uh, once I realized, you know, how interesting and colorful his background was, I thought, wow, what a great opportunity for me to play a really interesting and different part and also to, uh, you know, to tell Quran's story and inspire other kids to go out there and never give up. You probably get a lot of, of sports roles like this or things like this pitched to you. What stood out about this one? Well, you know I'm not playing Quran, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> You're too short, right? That's the thing? That's the... Uh, but, uh, you know, it was – it just – the 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 whole story. I mean, for me, obviously, playing this police officer in Wisconsin is a great, great part. Um, he's not he's not like you know the great white hero. This is a guy who uh, who had a lot of issues and things like that, of that nature. But it's a very interesting story, and it's just a very dramatic story with with a great ending. Um, that I think just makes for a perfect movie. I mean, for me, I always gravitate towards true stories. Uh, and, you know, nothing more inspiring than what, what Quran had to go through and how different his life could have been. And it's very, very true when it comes to, to my life as well. You know, if I, uh, if I didn't get a couple of breaks from a couple of key people, um, you know, I would definitely not be in the position I'd be in today. It Most is a great ending, Quran. You get to do a radio show with me, you know. that's, that's Yeah, and then I get to have my, my big brother come on and answer all these questions, which is amazing. Uh, big bro, thanks for coming on the show. And, you know, we was talking about the Celtics and them just emerging as the Eastern Conference favorite early, and I had Philly beating them in the last series. What did you see out of these young Celtic players that, you know, that's emerging right now in the Eastern Conference Finals? I told you in my trailer, <laughs> and he said there's no way. You know, they're just playing 
they're just playing, you know, uh, basketball. They're having fun, you know. I think, uh, you know, Coach Stevenson obviously had a great strategy to shut down Ben Simmons and kind of frustrate him and putting putting different players on him that wouldn't normally cover him and allow him to play his game and force him to shoot outside. And they just, you know, they're playing great. I mean, obviously last night probably has everybody thinking, and I always felt like even though we were up two, I mean, if we don't get one in Cleveland, that's going to be a problem. That being said, the Celtics haven't played good on the road, but you know uh, they're not where they're, they're not supposed to be where they are right now. But they continue continuing to look great, and you know when, when they got people back and healthy, I think it's going to be really really interesting. The East, it's just nice to see the East uh, being relevant again to a certain extent. No doubt. Do you have the Celtics winning this series in six or seven or not at all? I I still I think you know I think after the the the, the butt whooping that they took last night I think they could come back and if they get into the right kind of dogfight I think they could steal one in Cleveland if they steal one in Cleveland they're they're going uh, they're going to win in five if not it's going to be a seven game series. So and then I mean it just you know again you want to let LeBron score forty five fifty points that's fine as long as you can you know prevent these other guys from from having an impact. Uh, you know, which they were able to do the first two games. It'd be interesting to see. I'm just happy that they're there. You know, they're there. They're playing well. You know, you see how how great a basketball mind Danny Ainge is, and, and how, how great Coach Stevens is. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. And it's going to be interesting to see because I I don't know if Kyrie was playing if they'd be playing this good. You know, I think he likes the ball a little bit more. These guys are sharing the ball. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, they, they they make a lot of moves so. I mean, I absolutely love Kyrie, and, you know, he's been fantastic. But it be interesting to see what they do. You have to tell me about this movie, Mile 22. And you just filmed. It's coming out soon. Uh, what role did you play, and, you know, what's the character to get us all in theaters to watch it besides you and your amazing team? Well, I tell you, I play one of the craziest it's the craziest role that I've ever played. I, it kind of reminds me more of like a Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. You know, I have a job. I don't care who's right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, I got to go and I got to do my job. And with Overwatch, you know, you have you have the military, you have diplomacy, and then if everything else fails, these guys come in. And these guys are not, you know, uh, leave no man left behind. They're leave any and every man left behind. And a lot of these guys don't end up coming home. So it's kind of this cool uprising in this third world country. We have to basically decide who lives and who dies. And and uh, while trying to get this guy out of the country and save, uh, prevent a, a terrible terrorist attack. But it's a very kind of, it's not the kind of usual hero, uh, brooding kind of dark hero who doesn't talk much. This guy is a very in-your-face and, and very explosive, so it's exciting to play a character like that. We're talking to Mark Wahlberg, actor. He's part of the Karan Butler story. He joins us here uh, on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Mark, whenever I see, whenever I'm at the Garden, I see Donnie Wahlberg there. Uh-huh. Is he the official uh, Wahlberg emissary to the Celtic games? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't miss a game. You know, I, I'm here. I live in L.A. I got four kids, and I've been working so much that you know, for me to say, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to fly home to go to a basketball <laughs> game," that's not going to go over well. Um, that being said, if the Celtics go to the finals, we will probably try to go with my wife and, and sons up to, uh, to to hopefully Golden State to see the finals. But uh, you know, we'll see what the Rockets what, what the Rockets are going to do today. He's Donnie's dedicated though. I see him in Indiana. I see him in Milwaukee. He's yeah. like traveling with the team these days. Yeah, he is. He got a lot of time on his hands, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. You know, Mark, I'm a Boston guy too, and I mean, I have memories going to the old Boston Garden and you know, kind of sneaking in at times, you know, sitting in obstructed view seating. Uh, growing up in the area, do you have any memories of of that old Garden? Oh, of course. 
you know, I tried to apply for a job as a ball boy. Oh, hey, 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 big bro, he took your job. Because Chris I, was the ball boy. I was what? a ball boy with the Celtics for eight years. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't even get a response. I think they whiffed on uh, on that one. I didn't Not, even get a response. But then I did have an opportunity early on to buy a minority stake in the team. I just wasn't in a position to. <laughs> I wish I did that. Dang. That was a much bigger regret. I can I can tell you, Mark, what you did wrong with the ball boy application. Um, the, the staff of ball boys there, this was in the 1990s, the staff of ball boys there were all sons of police officers. And my uh. father was a Boston cop. And for some reason... You know, the the guy that hired him wanted to have uh, a bunch of cops' kids on his payroll. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I pl- it was probably like uh, mid mid to late 80s that I applied. Mm. By the time I was in the, in the 90s, I was out kind of doing my thing. It was a great job. <laughs> was- yeah, man. I wanted the free... I wanted the gear. Yeah. I wanted yeah. the gear. But no, no, no. The excitement around the garden, both with, with the Celtics and the Bruins, and then Fenway. I mean, Boston's one of the great sports towns of all time. And the Patriots kind of... We'll get you out of here with this. Um, uh, you know, you, you've starred in some movies where you've you know gone back to your Boston accent. I've, I, as someone from the area, I, I've I've watched guys try to do the Boston accent and struggle with it at times. The best Boston accent from an actor not from Boston, and the worst Boston accent from an actor not from Boston. Mm, well, the it's it's too tough to pick the worst because there's so many. Um, the best, I don't know. I would have to. You know how actually there was a there was a thing Seth Meyers did this thing about yeah. all the Boston movies. His accent was pretty good, but no, no, not I would. There's not a lot of good ones. Um, I just worked with this wonderful actress. I won't say her name, but she um, she was she was in the movie that I was doing. And she was going up to do a, a movie uh, in Maine, but doing a Boston accent. She said she just had such a hard time, and she feels like she failed miserably. But um, sometimes it's smart just to kind of go neutral. I, I remember when we were doing The Departed, Matt Damon and I were sitting there looking at each other. And we're like, you know what's going to happen? We're going to sound like we have the bad boss in that. <laughs> everybody else is doing their thing. But, um, yeah, sometimes it's better to just go neutral. I thought Sheen really battled in that movie. I, I, his was, was a little rough for me. You know, I think he went a little more uh, JFK. Yeah. You know, he was saying co-op and all this stuff, but, you know. <laughs> what a wonderful actor and you know you don't know this but he came in late there was another actor playing the role of Captain Queenan mm-hmm. and he was replaced after three weeks and Martin Sheen came in to, 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 to play the role so he literally got the call like the day before and then came in um, to play that part was it was it easier for you to hide your accent early on or go back to it later on uh, to go back to it, it was it, you know what because when you you know this as well as anybody when you leave Boston, yeah. everybody else looks at you like you're from another planet. You know, it's like nails on a chalkboard that accent. So I had to work really hard to lose the accent, and it's easy to just kind of dive back into it. Yeah, I, I remember I moved to New York after college, and I remember going back to Boston like five six years later, and you go back to your parents' house, and you hear my mother saying. Get your car out of the driveway. I'm like, did I did I talk like that? Was yeah. that was that real? Exactly. I just talked to my mother on the way over here. She's uh, you know, felt very, very, very strong Boston accent. <laughs> well, Mark, we appreciate your time. We know you're busy today. Good luck on the movie uh, about Quran uh, and his life there. Looking forward to that when it comes out. And uh, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, big bro. Thank you, bro. All right, Quran. We'll talk to you soon, buddy.
right. That's Mark Wahlberg, the uh, actor, joining us here on the show. When does that movie come out, Karan? Is there a date on that yet? Yeah, so listen, we, uh, we're we going to production at the end of this year. And, okay. You know, we're filming, so hopefully uh, early next year we'll have some, you know, on the big screen for you guys. Yeah, I, he, I knew he wasn't playing you. I, I, did, I was aware of that. Yeah, he can, though. I mean, he could pretty much play anything, you yeah, know? Well, I mean, like, you know, a, a six foot seven black guy, that's, that's tough. That, Put him in tough... stilts. Put him in stilts. Put him in stilts. Okay, <laughs> that, that's going to work. All right, a lot more I want to get to. We'll talk more about the Celtics and Cavs. Of course, the Warriors and Rockets later on tonight. But first, let's check in with Ilo, see what's going on out there in the sports world today. What's up, Ilo? Chris and Karan, we go from a guy, Mark Wahlberg, known in part for Boogie Nights to the Golden Knights, as in the Vegas Golden Knights. Because today at 3 p.m. Eastern, the expansion sensation can advance to the Stanley Cup Final in their first season of competition with a victory at Winnipeg. Busy day already for baseball news. The injury-plagued Los Angeles Dodgers today placed pitcher Rich Hill on the 10-day disabled list with a blister on his left middle finger. Manager Dave Roberts expects Hill to be out at least four weeks. Their opponent today, the Washington Nationals, have promoted 19-year-old outfielder Juan Soto to the majors from AA. Kids risen to the majors by batting 362 with 14 home runs and 52 RBI in just 39 games at three minor league levels this season. He's slated to become the youngest to make a major league debut since 2012. Finally, the Atlanta Braves today released 37-year-old veteran Jose Bautista. The six-time All-Star had appeared in just 12 games this season, going 5 for 35 at the plate. Chris and Karan, let's go back to you. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Karan Butler, two-time All-Star, NBA champion, joining you here on Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. So, Karan, later on tonight, we've got the Warriors and Rockets Game 3. Series shifts back to Oakland. And after Game 1, I would have bet every nickel in my pocket the Warriors would win that thing in five games. I thought the Rockets gave them their best shot early, and Golden State just keeps coming. Durant uh, playing great. Curry coming back from the injury. That Hamptons 5 lineup was working out for him. Uh, Even the bench guys were producing. But then Houston comes out in Game 2. And just surprises us all. Looks like the Rockets team that won 65 games uh, in the regular season. Eric Gordon had his best game of the series. Now, you wonder what which Houston team is going to show up. Is that it to you? Is it is it which Rockets team shows up or which Warriors team shows up? I think it's which Warriors team show up. Like, I was, I was sitting back and Mark just touched on it that I was in this trailer and we was talking about... Uh, what teams are going to end up being in the finals? And obviously, he picked the you know the Celtics playing extremely well. And I was like, Nah, Philly. And he was like, I'm telling you, just watch. Brad Stevens making the adjustments. They playing extremely well, and that's exactly what happened. And then you look to the opposing side in the Western Conference, which now we're talking about uh, the Golden State Warriors. Look, they can score. This is what they do. Everybody's trying to keep up with their firepower. And then now. You add, you know, the defensive component, and they're they're a team that can keep up the defensive end of the the the, the energy and the disposition uh, on a consistent basis, better than anyone in score at that offensive power. I don't see Houston doing that, and the Warriors did exactly what they need to do. I think they put their guard down in Game Two, but they end up going back, getting home court. They stole one, and now they're like, okay, cool. Now we can play the game by game situation, but now they got hit, punched in the face. And they're going to respond to that tonight. 
I tell you two things I'd be worried about if I was Golden State. Number one is Steph Curry, and he hasn't played well through these first two games. And you have to wonder, even though he swears that he's healthy, is that knee a problem? And you know, if it is even a slight problem, it's going to be exposed in a series like this. One thing we know about the way the Rockets are game planning offensively is that they're going at Steph Curry, largely because uh, you look at the rest of the lineup, you know, Clay Thompson. Very good defensive player. Kevin Durant, very good defensive player. Draymond Green, borderline great defensive player. So if you're going to attack anybody on that floor, it's going to be Steph Curry. So I wonder about his knee, his health, his ability to hold up, you know, stamina-wise in a series like this. Because they need him. They can't rely on just Durant and Thompson to score. They need the full breadth of their scoring options uh, to be able to win a series like this. The other guy I'm worried about, and it sounds crazy, but Durant, he's got 75 points through the first two games of the series, Karan, he's only got one assist. I mean, that strikes me as a pretty glaring number to go for 75 points and just one assist. This was a guy that averaged, I think, like five assists uh, in the regular season. Only one assist. That seems like a problem to me. Well, you know, if you look at the games where Kevin Durant scores over, I don't know, 30-plus points or whatever the number was. they it's 39, they, yeah. 39 yeah. points, and, and I think they won. I don't think they won any of those games this year. Exactly. So they're forcing him to be a scorer. As much as possible, like, look, make him score the ball, stay home on everybody else. And, you know, if you got one defender in front of one of the most prolific scorers of all time, you know, he's so unique, he's going to take offense to that. Mm. And he's going to score the basketball. Now, granted, he's efficient, he's shooting a high percentage, but it's taken away from the team. You know, the ball needs to pop around like popcorn, and Draymond needs to facilitate. He needs to bring the ball, be the point forward or the point four. And then other guys need to get their touches, and that's where it's hindering Steph because Steph is not getting the volume shot opportunities and in the flow, in the rhythm, and you need to touch that ball in order to gain a rhythm. And he's not getting that consistent flow and that rhythm, and it's disturbing his rhythm. And, you know, they're going at him on the opposing end. Every switch out, they got Steph in isolation plays where they're wearing him out, they're tiring him out. Now he's on retreat, and he's losing his legs on the defensive end and not being fresh on the offensive end of the floor. You know, the Rockets were tagged with being too isolation heavy after game one. Mike D'Antoni came out and was vehement in his defense of the way his team plays. I mean, look, this is what Houston is, right? I mean, they're a team that lets James Harden dribble the ball down for 22 seconds before making a play. Same thing with Chris Paul. I mean, they don't move the ball around uh, a lot. They play a lot of pick and roll, and they were successful with it. You know, 65 wins during the regular season. Are they, in your mind, too isolation heavy, though, to win a series like this? Yeah, I mean, they're they're isolation heavy, but at the same time, they have guys that's capable. And, you know, to their credit, they have to play this way because you can't, you know, and and listen, uh, P.J. Tucker is an excellent player. He's he's great at exactly what they need him to be great at. Defense, knock down open looks. Trevor Ariza, same thing. But if you have to rely on these guys to be, you know, just extraordinary for four games and five games in a row – I, I just don't see that happening because, you know, with the scouting report and diving into people's tendencies, which we touched on earlier in this show, it's tough to still gauge that rhythm and have that that potent, uh, efficient night, night in and night out. So Chris Paul, James Harden, they have to create. They have to have astronomical nights and big nights and very efficient nights in order for them to be successful. 
to me, the key of this whole thing is James Harden. I'm not James Harden, Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon in game one, no show. And I think Eric Gordon, as much as anybody, has had a hard time adjusting to, uh, you know, what this team has become with Chris Paul. I mean, he's had pretty good numbers in the regular season, but, you know, Eric Gordon with this group is basically asked to stand in the corner and wait for kickout passes. Last year, he was more of a facilitator. He was more of a creator. He was kind of in that sort of Chris Paul mold uh, last season. It's a completely different one that he's adjusted to. But we saw in game two, when this guy's making three-point shots, it changes the dynamic of this Rockets offense. All of a sudden, those lanes for Harden and Paul are so much wider. All of a sudden, you have another guy out there that you have to worry about every single time down the floor. To me, the the Rockets' success over these next two games, it's not going to hinge entirely on what Eric Gordon does, but a lot of it's going to be what Eric Gordon does. Yeah, and it's going to change from game to game because, you know, that's, that's that's the beauty about playoffs. It's a chess match. So now you look at film and you're like, okay, all right, Eric Gordon proved that if he played well, he can beat us. Okay, let's let P.J. Tucker beat us tomorrow. Next game, P.J. has to beat us. Like, we're going to leave him open, and if he scored 30 to 35, we're going to live with that. If he scored 22 with an efficient night and five assists and five rebounds, all right, we have to live with that. But we don't think he can do it on a consistent basis, so that's that's our angle. And that's what happens. So, like, if he's able to adjust on the fly and stay consistent – Golden State may have a problem. Yeah. But if right. not, they're not going to have a problem. All right, 877-996-6369 is the phone number. 877-996-6369. We come back. I do want to talk a little bit about Johnny Manziel, uh, the ex-Heisman Trophy winner, former first-round pick, but out of the league for a couple of years. He's back playing football, at least he will be, in the CFL. Can he succeed there? Is that going to be a gateway to get back into the NFL Plus. The Supreme Court says that states can legalize sports gambling. The NFL, uh, they've said something about it. The NBA, I think they're going to do some stuff with it. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. It's Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Maddox, Karan Butler. Mm. Show brought to you by Granger. Mm. Products and services you need when you get when you need them. Granger's got your back to help keep your facility running. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is blood issues. <laughs> it's more your speed, right? I'm I'm the petty guy in this uh, this dynamic. Man, I'm versatile, man. Yeah, I like you're everything. all over the place. I'm all over the place, man. By the way, you see, this is the 24 year anniversary of this date of the uh, Scottie Pippen dunk on Patrick Ewing. Remember that for the '94 playoffs? No doubt. That Legendary. was one of the most disrespectful. Oh yeah dunks ever <laughs> what was more let me put it this way I, I, there are two dunks that i view as disrespectful one was that because he dunks on ewing and kind of comes down and slaps his hands away then stands over him the other was the shack chris dudley dunk remember that when shack dunks on dudley then shoves him to the floor <laughs> those two stand as the most disrespectful which one was worse i, I go with the scotty pippen dunk mm-hmm. because i remember you know i recall uh I forget who passed the bounce pass. I know it came from B.J. Armstrong, and then the guy was at the Bulls logo, bounce passed it. Patrick Ewan rotates, come yep. over, standing there like a tree, goes up at 12 o'clock, and look, it was just a crazy ending. And he just he just, he just lunged over him, walked over him, uh, went on the sideline, told Spike Lee to have a seat, Yep, and uh, made his way to the free throw line to uh, shoot the free throw. You know, I'll never uh... – 
I'll never criticize a shot blocker for going for a block shot. Like too many times, especially in today's league, too many times you see guys just make business decisions, right? Like they they see a guy going up and they kind of tuck their head and go the other way. How many guys in, in today's league won't go for that block that Patrick Ewing did on Scottie Pippen? I would argue like half the league wouldn't go for that block in the same way that Ewing did. A guy in Boston like that, Aaron Baines right now, goes for every block. He's gotten dunked on a couple of times during this postseason in a vicious way, but I'll never criticize a guy for getting posterized, because that just says to me that they're trying. Like, they're going for a block, or they're not some seven-footer taking a charge, or a guy making a business decision. I want the guy going for the block every time. Hey, look, somebody gotta be in a poster, and Baines said, look, I'll be that guy. Look, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm gonna get licensing deals and things like that from being in all these posters, and I'm okay with being on the bad end of the stick. You know, a lot of people do it, though. Look, we're talking about the 25th anniversary of Scottie Pippen dunking on someone. There was no social media at the time. Mm. You know, now that thing would have been viral, would have had over 100 million views, and it would have just took off. It does know? now. It's yeah. taking off now. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, so that's, I mean, that's what it is now. So today's game, people make, like you said, business decisions. They don't want to be in that mix. They don't want to hear that over and over again. I mean, look, we're still talking about the James Harden play that he had on Wesley Johnson. Mm. Like, 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 he has to live. He he'll never be able to live that down. Like when they tell the story, uh, the, the story of basketball, and they talk about James Harden and his era and his dominance, and obviously he's going to win the MVP. That highlight is going to be on the screen. You ever get put on a poster? Nah, I usually try to get out the way. I'm somewhere probably. <laughs> so you on made the business way. decision. Yeah, I, I was just always smart about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I was like, look, it, that's that's a big man job. He should have rotated over there. That's a lot. What is he doing? Brian Grant, where were you at, bro? Like, what are you doing? Grant. <laughs> Playing Brendan Haywood for that. Like, yeah, hey, Brendan, come on. what happened, man? Come on, man. I sent them right to you. You're a seven-footer. <laughs> so no no dunks on Karan Butler during his career. I'm pretty sure I got some somewhere. <laughs> I ain't looking for him, though. Please don't find one. Yeah, if you're out there listening, if you can find a Karan Butler dunk, tweet at us. Karan's at at Real Tough Juice. I'm at Chris Mannix. YS. We'll retweet the crap out of that one if we see a Karan Butler (laughs) boomed on dunk right there. Oh, man. It happens. Hey, it's part of the game, right? I wish I could dunk. Man, that was. I, 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 I would be. If I could dunk, I'd be trying to dunk on everybody every time down. You know what? Not to pivot this back to the Celtics and the Cavs, but one thing about the Celtics in this series, they're not trying to dunk anything. Like, you know, Tatum's going up soft. Greg Monroe, who's seven feet tall, is going up soft. Uh, you know, in a, in a playoff series, man, and, and this is just my outside observation, you can, you've played in this stuff, you can't go up soft in games like this because the referees are going to let guys get away with some physicality. You've got to go up and try to dunk everything when you're around the rim. Well, you ever hear somebody tell you that, you know, the, the operation was a success, but the patient died? Yeah. Or it was a million-dollar move, but a $2 finish? Yeah. Or I did my best, but I ran out of talent. This is what happened in all these situations. You see guys in transition, and then guess what? A guy that can jump a little higher than you, run a little faster than you, more explosive. LeBron James running guys down, swatting shots out the air, meeting you at the rim where you're jumping at 10.5 feet, he's jumping at 12 and coming down, blocking your shot. Like So those things are happening and I, I don't look, they, they effort in their mindset just wasn't their last game, but I think it's going to be totally different game four. Yeah, they put up a stinker in that game one. And look, you got Brad Stevens, you got a smart team, you got guys that have played well all postseason. They'll adjust. And we'll get into this next hour, but my bigger question is uh, can the Cavaliers duplicate that success? Then we know, Karan, that LeBron James is going to play great again. It's what he is. He, he's going to have a great game. But you go down that list, can Kevin Love play as well? 
Can J.R. Smith play as well? He's the wild card in all this, right? J.R. Smith, you know, he had zero points in game two. You know, he had a great game in game three. Can he play uh, at that same level? So we'll talk more about that. I also want to get to the Western Conference Finals, Golden State uh, against Houston. Which team needs to adjust? Which team needs to make changes? We'll talk about that. I also want to get into Johnny Manziel. Johnny Football is back in football. Going to be playing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, in the CFL. Will that be a gateway to get into the NFL. We'll do all that and more next. Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio, Chris Mannix, Yahoo Sports, Karan Butler, two-time All-Star NBA champion. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote today. Well, the playoffs are ongoing, and the Cavaliers... They're back in it, Karan. LeBron James, 27 points, 12 assists. But to me, that blowout win over Boston last night, that was more about everybody else. That was about J.R. Smith playing well. That was about uh, George Hill having a great first quarter. That was about Kevin Love showing up. Uh, you know, the Celtics, they played awful. Like, that was a bad game for Boston. But the Cavs, if they play like that again, this is a series. You know, once more. I mean, I I never expected Cleveland to roll over. A team with one of the all-time great players is never going to do that. But the way that this this game played out um, on Saturday, it, it made me think that this could be a series again. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. It, it is a series. Um, the momentum is has shifted. You can see it. You can see the confidence in the role players. Like like, like we touched on earlier in the show, eighty nine points is a lot of points. You know, coming from the others that you know. From, you know, the game to game situation, talking about not even scoring half of that. You know, LeBron accounting for almost 40 plus points a game, uh, the rebounds being 10 plus, the assists being 10 plus, and then these guys going back home, getting the crowd behind them, getting that confidence that's much needed. It's a game changer. It is. It's a momentum shift in the series right now. You think it's more likely that we see the same type of game from Cleveland or we see... Or, well, actually, let me put it a different way. You think it's more likely that Cleveland falls off or that Boston plays a lot better in Game 4? Uh, uh, listen, Boston didn't show up. No. They did not show up mentally. They didn't have the, the physical approach, the disposition that was needed in a playoff series. Look, you, you're going to lose games. You know, you can play your best and lose, but you know, you have to understand that, you know, you're going to bring it night in and night out. And what happened was, like we touched on, I felt like they start feeling themselves a little bit, they being the Boston Celtics, a young team that was being praised so much, you know, having so much success without Gordon Hayward and more recent Kyrie Irving, and they was feeling themselves. But now they got, you know, readjusted, they was humbled, and they have to come back after watching film session and, and be better. Yeah, I don't know. See, I don't know if they were feeling themselves as much as that they're just a different team on the road. I mean, you go back to Game Three against Milwaukee, and they got run over after winning the first two games on the road. They played much better in Game Three against Philadelphia, but they came back in Game Four and lost that game. Look, as we said, Game Three in a situation like this, the home team always shows up. They do. It's their. They know it's their last chance. We know the stats. Nobody comes back from down three zip in a series, uh, but. 
you know, Boston for some reason has this kind of mental block when they play on the road. Now, Brad Stevens gets ticked off a little bit when people talk about this because he brings up the team's home record or road record during the regular season. But during the playoffs, I don't know if it's the youth of this team. I don't know if it's the fact they get off to these great starts in these series because they're what, like, I think nine and one at home uh, during the postseason. But for some reason, Guys like Rogier is a different player on the road. Uh, Jalen Brown is a different player on the road. Even Tatum is a different player on the road. I mean, is it the youth of these guys? I mean, is is it is it that arrogance you talked about? What is it to you? Yeah, that's what it is. It's filling yourself. Like you touched on it, nine and one, uh, something like that. The record is being on the road. That means that you're being coming. Home, yeah, yeah. That, so that means that you're coming off a win before you go on the road because they play excellent at home. So when you get that that home win, you go on the road feeling good about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's been happening. A young team feeling good about themselves, watching the memes on social media and things like that. You see them very active still on social media. And when you go on the road, you get that humbling, that humble pie. And then you have to, you know, look, I have to respond to this. We have to be better. And then they bounce back. So they're a resilient young team. They're fun to watch. This, the future is more than bright for them, and it's, it's going to be amazing, and I, I, they're, they're growing up right in front of our eyes. All that being said, who do you favor in this series? Now that's 2-1 Boston going into Game 4. My, my, I can make my pick on this series after Game 4. Okay. And, and, and all, I need to, all I need to watch is the first half. It don't have to be you know Cleveland 1 or Boston 1. If I, if I watch the first half of Game 4, I can look – this 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 make my my series pick right off top because I know what type of series is going to be going forward. I still th- I still favor Boston at this point because I think defensively they're going to be better. Uh, it's been their calling card all season long. They're the number one defensive team uh, during the regular season. And talking to some of those guys after the game, they kept bringing up that defense. Like we had defensive lapses. We didn't play like the Celtics uh, in this game. And on the flip side of it. I just don't think Cleveland can put this type of defensive effort together. I mean, they had a 30-point win, 86 points, as you mentioned, for Boston. Uh, I don't see that happening again. I mean, we've been beating them, beating the Cavs up all season long for being a really average defensive team. I don't think they limit Jalen Brown in the same way they did in Game 3. I think Al Horford plays better uh, in Game 4. I think there's a bunch of guys on Boston that are going to have a better offensive game, and I, I just think that it's going to balance out more in Boston's favor in this Game 4. Look, you you don't want someone that been there that know how to get there and seen it all smell it, and that's exactly what's happening with LeBron James. He's developing a formula to win, and in the process, he's building up the guys that you know probably have lack of confidence in these moments. Because think about it, that the new additions that came uh, in mid season, they was all guys pretty much coming from you know losing situations, uh, wasn't extremely impactful on their team and then now they come over here and now it's on prime time every mm-hmm. game is nationally televised every game is uh, pretty much built around what LeBron does and what he doesn't do and they're developing a quiet little confidence game by game and the more that they play the more the chemistry is going to develop with these young guys and they're going to be able to go out there and add a little bit more to the the to the to the team win yeah but when does youth become a problem if you're the Celtics. I mean, they've had a bunch of upstarts all season long, but you can't get past the point that, point that Jalen Brown is 21 years old, that Jason Tatum is 20 years old, that Terry Rozier 
is in his early 20s. The one advantage Cleveland had coming into the series was experience. I mean, they're the three-time defending Eastern Conference champs. You've got guys like LeBron, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith. These are experienced players. Kyle Korver is 37 years old, been around the block a few times. When, when does... When does that youth become a problem in a series like this? It won't come a problem in a series like this because mm-hmm. it's the way the youth is being managed. Brad Stevens is an amazing coach. He is. He's okay, an amazing why do you coach. Think, why do you think Brad Stevens is an amazing coach? I agree with you, but why do you think he's an amazing coach? When you when you had, I'm gonna tell you two reasons. But when you had said and addressed the Boston Celtics, and you said, "Look, they just didn't have it with all the what adjustments." Mm-hmm. You said with all the adjustments that they made. They just it just it just didn't matter yesterday. Cleveland still was clicking on all cylinders. The adjustments. He's a guy that can adjust to pretty much any situation. I talked about it in shows prior to this one. We was covering the game at TD Garden, and we had OKC, one of the last two games of the season. Kyrie Irving, you know, goes down, and this is when his knee uh, surgery thing is, you know, hit the fan, and everybody's going crazy about it. Brad Stevens came right in the locker room, sat down with us before uh, pregame, and said, look, we're playing big, like, Immediately, we're playing big. We're playing through Al Horford, Scary Terry at the point. He's going to be on the ball a lot. Jason's going to have to be aggressive for us. He's more than capable. His versatility, this, spreading the floor, perimeter. They're going to have to dry the ball. Jalen Brown's coming back sometime. It, like, it was just like, bam, like, what's next? A lot of people would have been like, oh, whoa, me. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do going forward. It's going to take some time. We have to get some momentum. We don't know who's going to score for us. Who's going Like, all those things. He just dived into another space and said, look, all right. This is what we have to do to win now. Like certain people have to go back to the film. They have to like they can't make the adjustments in the, in the fly and in the moments of the game. They have to wait till the game is over. The moment is gone, and now it's going to be a different moment going forward. But now you're still trying to respond to the moment that you lost. That's not Brad Stevens. Now here's the thing about Brad Stevens, and look, I'm with you on his coaching skills. I think he's one of, if not the best. Uh, in-game coach uh, in the league right up there with Greg Popovich and maybe one or two others. But we've, and I'm not saying you and I, but like the media and the public has kind of built him up to a certain point. So if he has a bad coaching game, Garan, you know the next you know couple of days, all the talking heads on TV are going to be like, well, I thought Brad Stevens was this great coach. I thought he was going to lead them to the promised land. I thought nobody could out-coach President Stevens. Like, he's now reached that tipping point, right, where everyone thinks he's like this unflappable, un- un- uh, unbeatable type of coach out there. And if the Cavs go out and they win a close game against the Celtics where the Celtics failed to execute, one thing I took away from that Game 3 was that where was the Boston offense I saw for the first couple of games? Where was the ball movement? Where was all the passing? This was an isolation-heavy offense that the Celtics ran. And Karan, they don't have the horses to run isolation. They did when Kyrie Irving was there. They would have if Gordon Hayward was there. But Kyrie Irving going one-on-one is a lot different than Marcus Smart going one-on-one. So we've kind of built Brad up to this point. And, and again, it's not just you and me. It's it's everybody. They've, he's been built up to this point where if he has a bad coaching night on Monday, if the Cavs even this series, everyone out there is going to be trying to tear him down. I don't... I don't. You know what? I still don't think so. Oh no! The 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 the, the talking heads out there on TV, uh, daily radio, they're going to be going after him. Look, all right. So this is how I look at it. See, the talking heads don't know what they're talking about. 
Like, you have to really dive into the game and understand the game. And this is one of the reasons why, me personally, I got into this space. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about anything like that. It was about me being a gatekeeper for our content, telling the true story and what it is. And look at this situation. You lose Gordon Hayward. You lose Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. There's no reason the Boston Celtics should be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. Okay, that's one. There's no reason the Boston Celtics should be competing with who you said, the three-time Eastern Conference champs in the Cleveland Cavaliers right now against the the best player of this generation right now, LeBron James. But they are. Mm. They have a 2-1 lead because a coach at the helm is putting them in situations to be successful. He's taking these guys that's a year or two removed from being the potential of what they're expected to be and making them become that right now on the fly, right in front of our eyes. And we're all in awe. So if they fall a little short, imagine if they had Gordon Hayward, an all-star, Kyrie Irving, a perennial all-star, in lineup, right now healthy, and imagine what this series will look like. But they're competing with what they have right now, and that's an amazing accomplishment. Brad Stevens is an amazing coach. He has talent, but he's developing these men on the fly, which is remarkable. All right, 877-996-6369 is the phone number, 877-996-6369. We'll take a break. We'll get into the uh, Western Conference Finals. That game's, or that series picks up uh, later on tonight. The series shifts out to Oakland, Houston. Played a great game, too. Can they duplicate that? A little bit later on, talk some football. Johnny football, to be exact. Johnny Manziel is going to go play uh, in the CFL. Will we see Manziel back in the NFL within uh, the next couple of years. All that and more next. It's Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio. It's Chris and Karan here, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Karan Butler. Show brought to you by Geico. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? Well, it means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. So, Karan, out here in Cleveland... Cold, not cold, actually warm, but cloudy. A great day. I was in a cab uh, going to the arena last night, and uh, the cab driver, uh, a little bit chatty, which I don't always love, but uh, asked me, you know, about LeBron. If I thought this was uh, LeBron's last go around in Cleveland, and my standard response to that is, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what LeBron's thinking. I, mean, I don't know who he's talking to right now. Or is, are he and Paul George uh, having you know side conversations is Demarcus Cousins and LeBron are they talking? Uh, but there, there's a sense, uh, kind of a, a I'll call it a fear, maybe close to a resignation amongst people in Cleveland that this is the last year that that LeBron's out here. Now we have the Cavs sitting here in the conference finals. I've been always been of the belief, Karan, that the more the Cavs win, the better their chances are of retaining LeBron James. I understand that they're you know, kind of in salary cap hell. They can't make a lot of moves. They do have the eighth overall pick in the draft. Maybe they use that. Maybe they trade it. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think the, I've always felt that the more they win, the better their chances are of LeBron coming back. What's been your feel on this? All right, look, it's, it's it's really about what LeBron's feeling and what his camp and him, you know, come up with, you know, for you know years to come moving forward because they're not in the moment type folks. You know, they, they're visionaries. Uh, they pride themselves on being game changers and trailblazers in this field. And, uh, you know, if people say, all right, well, if he go to the finals, he's definitely coming back. Not necessarily the case. Um, he went to multiple finals with the Miami Heat. 
Uh, and last time I checked, they they lost in the finals, and that's when he left Miami. You know, so it, you you don't know. It's all just what he has planned going forward, and what the big picture for him is. And you know, and only him and his camp knows. And you know, you have to be patient and wait. But if he goes out, if he exit uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's what it is. Uh, the storyline's not going to be about Boston and you know uh, whoever come out the West, uh, thinking Golden State, but it's going all going to be about LeBron's free agency and where he winds up. Yeah, but he left. He left Miami for what looked like a better version of Miami, right? I mean, he left Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh to effectively go play with Kevin Love and uh, early twenties Kyrie Irving. I mean, at that point. I think in LeBron's mind, he was going to be in Cleveland for the rest of his career. So you have a guy in Kyrie Irving who's just becoming a superstar in this league. You had Kevin Love, an established all-star. You had some decent pieces around him. I think he looked at Cleveland as being a better fit long-term for championships, in addition to all the other stuff. Look, I buy that. The the wanting to go back to the Akron, Ohio, Northeast Ohio area to be a role model for kids. All the stuff he put in that letter that he wrote uh, in Sports Illustrated. But if he's going to leave he's going to find a better situation he's going to find one that has other stars with them and i get asked about this all the time i'm sure you do too the only team well actually there's two teams make sense philadelphia makes some sense but i'm not so sure lebron wants to go there with those guys houston makes the most sense going to houston you know to pair with paul and james harden it seems like he would be a good fit there and the rockets even though they've got some big contracts on that roster they might be able to do some creative things with their books because Paul's going to be a, uh, technically a free agent this summer. Clint Capella's going to be a free agent this summer. They might be able to do some creative things to bring him there. So every time somebody asks me about the biggest threat to uh, the Cavaliers ringing back LeBron James, I point straight to Houston, the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I, I think uh, Philadelphia is a realistic situation because, look, if you're LeBron James also, you know, your your legacy, it's all about preserving your legacy, and, you know, he shows no signs of slowing down. Well, he actually does in certain cases. You know, defensively, we saw a defensive-minded LeBron James last game. This is the worst worst defensive year of LeBron's career, no doubt. Well, well, we saw him playing great defense last night. Oh, he can still dial it up to a 10. No no question about that. But overall, for the season, he wasn't great. Exactly. So you need need to play with guys that can, what, preserve you as much as possible. And Philadelphia makes sense. Like you just touched on, Houston makes sense. And then... There's the young guns in Los Angeles that makes a lot of sense and where so much business activity and things that he already have in existence off the court is going and going well. So, like, those things make sense. I would think that he will wind up somewhere in Philadelphia, uh, Houston, or Los Angeles. you got to bring somebody with you in L.A., though. Like, LeBron's not going to L.A. to play with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Like, I, mean, that's- I mean, you can I mean, you can. You can bring a Paul George with yeah. you. You can bring somebody with you. I mean, it, it, it's just, you know, it's, we'll know sooner than later, I'll tell you that. You know, Paul George is going to be interesting, too, not to pivot off LeBron, but, you know, being in Chicago, talking to some teams out there, uh, there's going to be a robust market, as you'd expect, for Paul George. But Oklahoma City, I don't want to call it a confidence, but 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 they still believe that, that they're in the mix here. They still believe they can get Paul George uh, to come back. Now, there's a lot of unknowns, right? We don't know about Paul George, his relationship with Russell Westbrook. We don't know necessarily how strong his desire is to play in Southern California. And of course, the fact that they bowed out in the first round when they were you know, the more talented team, probably not the better team than Utah, but they were the more talented team 
uh, than the Jazz. The fact they bowed out in the first round, that has to be a factor in all this. But there's, I'm telling you, Karan, there's a, a quiet confidence-ish thing going on in uh, Oklahoma City about bringing Paul George back. Well, unless you signed them already, you shouldn't be that confident. No, I mean, they're not over brimming with confidence, but, you know, I, you know, sometimes you look at a situation like, well, you know, we're out of it. We're going to lose this guy. It's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, the writing's on the wall, uh, so to speak. But they're, they're thinking about it. The, the, I mean, again, and, and you play with Russell Westbrook. How big a factor do you think that is? I mean, Russ, I mean, from the outside, Karan, he looks like a tough guy to play with. He just no. does. When he's jacking up that many shots, he looks like a tough guy to play that's, with. That's not the case. And and, and, and Russ is a, a, the ultimate teammate. He's a great guy to play with. Uh, it's always a misconception about like people like that. You know, they said the th- same thing about Kobe, and that's one of my best teammates. We had him on the show. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we're friends long after basketball. And Russ is the same way. You know, it's just like, look, some some guys challenge you to be a better version of yourself, and some people don't like that. Some people don't like to be challenged. Some people don't like to be consistent. You know what I mean? And when you're playing with the ultimate competitor, you know, on your team, he's going to just continue to dive into that space with you and bring it out of you. Why, why it makes sense for Paul George to stay in Oklahoma, I would say this. It takes a lot of pressure off you to know that you're playing with a monster like Russell Westbrook. You know, he's he, he's the focal point of so many defensives to slow him down. And then you can kind of just, you know, gradually just score your points, do your thing, uh, add on to your legacy, uh, eventually make your way up to, you know, be a, a Hall of Famer, you know, with all these all-star appearances, the USA gold medals and all that stuff. You just build it on your basketball platform and then eventually win a title. So it's amazing. It's amazing situation. It's a it's a it's amazing amazing uh, dilemma to be in. And I think he's going to make the right choice. You know, I really do. Now, Karan, I defer to you on on the Russell Westbrook stuff because you played with the guy. But I can only look at the numbers, man. 82 shots in the final two games of that series. I mean, he. I, I understand that, you know, if you're Paul George, you have to force yourself to be more involved. And he didn't play well at all in that clincher, in that uh, that game six. He was a disaster uh, in that last game. But it... it I know from talking to guys, not necessarily but playing with Westbrook, but you know when you have a guy that comes down the floor and there's no ball movement, there's no passing, that can be demoralizing for a player on the other end. That 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 but negatively Chris, affects you on that end. But what? But why did it come to that? Why did it come to that? Like Russ played, he played back seat. Like he he had a game where he scored under 20 points or something, and he was just passing the ball and letting guys lead the way, and it, it didn't unhappen. So what are we taught since grade school? Like if you came up playing against real activity and bodies and checking it up and, and your effort against somebody else's best effort and let the, let the chips fall where they may and not playing at these parks with your own trainer and dribbling around basketball cones where they don't flinch at you, you you're, you're playing against ghosts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Russell, Russell is a little different. You know, he grind a little different, and he understand that. So what he did was, he was like, look, I'm not going back into the offseason with all my ammo. I'm going to let it all out. So I have no regrets. Like, And that's the mentality you have to have in the playoffs. And that's what he did. He left it all on the court. Yeah, I may have shot the ball 38, 40 times. You know what I mean? But look, I left everything that I had in the tank out there. I'm on empty. And my best wasn't good enough. I go back. I work on things that I need to work on. I look at film, and I try to get this guy, Paul George, back on our roster for next year. And that's what he's doing. He's spending time with him. He's going to his parties. He's like, look, he's trying to recruit him and keep him on under their umbrella. 
But he left it all out there. And, like, who who don't want to be in a foxhole with a guy like that? Well, do, you, do you think that, and look, not to go even further back, but do you think that Kevin Durant left in part because he didn't want to play with Russell Westbrook? No, look, I think Kevin Durant left because he wanted to leave. I don't I don't think it, it like, people always go, like, look, it was just Russell Westbrook. It was, that was the reason why No, I don't why think it was left. just what Russell Westbrook. I, I'm with you there. I don't think it was just Russ, but his team was up 3-1 on Golden State in the conference finals, and he walked away from Westbrook. I mean, that that's a fact that can't be overlooked. Look, LeBron walked away from Cleveland because what? They yeah, went to the they, finals. They like like people don't it, people left situations that was, you know, mapped out in great situations. But obviously the ultimate goal is to what? Win a title. Be on a championship team. No, go through that experience. Pat Riley was the guy in the Eastern Conference that look, he's the godfather in the NBA. He's been there for that some time. Dwayne Wade was in the Eastern Conference. A prime time Dwayne Wade, the first of that class to win a championship out of Carmelo, LeBron, and all those guys. You wasn't going through him. Dwayne was already seasoned. LeBron saw a great opportunity for all those guys to come together and do something special. You cannot tell the story of basketball without mentioning the Heatles. And he did it. That created the wave for other guys, super talents, to look, let, look, I can go join this team and win a title. Like Kevin Durant's going to win scoring titles. He's going to mm-hmm. score a ton of points. He's going to do all these things. Look, I can go right there and fit in like a glove, make a seamless transition like LeBron did in Miami and win a title or be in the finals to have my, get the best opportunity to win. Why not? Like, why not? Like, they're going to judge you no matter what. And at the end of the day, they're going to say, well, he didn't win a title. That like look, let me just get that out the way right now. Now they're saying how he won the title. Mm. That wasn't right. He shouldn't have went there. Like it's it's people are always gonna say something. Like they're gonna they're gonna you know have these comments to say. But he got a title, he's a champion, he's an MVP, the MVP of the finals. Like, look, he did it. Now what? He did. And look look, I I've been writing for two years now that you know, this you know, the, the Kevin Durant's not a bandwagon jumper. They don't win the championship last year without Kevin Durant. They don't, they probably don't beat Golden or beat Houston this year without Kevin Durant. He's the leader of that team. He's the face of that team now. He's the biggest star on that team now. He's indispensable. He's not a luxury to a 73-win team. He's an indispensable part of all that. But you said a lot in that last commentary. I don't want to add I want to just dispute part of it. Like you said LeBron James left the Cavs team in 2010, a good Cavs team to go down to Miami. That Cavs team was good. But Karan, that wasn't a championship team. That was a 61-win regular season team that was overly dependent on LeBron James. Kevin Durant left at? a team that was going to the that was in the conference finals, that was one win away from beating Golden State, and probably would have won the championship that year if they had gone to the finals uh, to take on to take on Cleveland. He left that type of team, and all I'm saying is that Durant's decision to do that reflects on Russell Westbrook. And if Paul George decides to walk, that's going to reflect on Westbrook too. Where did the Cavs? Where did the Cavs finish at that season in 2010? Uh, they were they was beaten the second round by Boston. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, they they got that far. What's what's the argument? I'm not I'm missing it. They was playing extremely well, and they could have they could have easily added another component and went to the finals or whatever the case. Well, may where be, they blew the, it. Remember where they blew it? Karan was in uh, the the trade deadline. They wouldn't give up JJ Hickson to get Amari Stoudemire, which stands as one of the worst moves you could you know not make I in, at that point in time. I concur. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, I, I I love watching Westbrook play. I just wonder if his style of play is 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 it turn if it turns some guys off. His competitiveness, 
I love it. I want more guys to be like Russell Westbrook, more throwbacks like Russell Westbrook. But 82 shots in the last couple of games. That's that that series. But what 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 do you prefer? Like if I'm on a basketball team with a guy, that's it. That's just what you see with LeBron James, mm-hmm. right? And, and 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 it worked out for him. LeBron is a pass first guy. But what happened? He had to put the team literally on his back. Yep. In the first round. Where Indiana, the Indiana Pacers could have easily beat them. He had to hit game winners, get blocks, had a goal ten or a questionable call, all these things. Had the, the run-ins with Lance Stevenson, revisit all those things. And then to go to Toronto and have the out-of-body performances every game, one-leg fadeaways, all this stuff, imposing his will and the fear of LeBron on uh, the, the the Toronto Raptors, and then now he has to do it again mm-hmm. and try to bring these guys. So, like, look, if he like, imagine if those guys, the others, didn't score eighty nine points last game. What what would LeBron have to do next game? And people would not question it, not one bit. They'd be like, LeBron have to go for sixty. LeBron yeah. would have to go for fifty five, uh, seventeen, and and twelve for them to have a realistic shot at winning the game if the others didn't step up last game like they did and score 89 points. And that's what Russell Westbrook did. Like, I'd rather him just leave it all out there, shoot the ball, go have the turnovers, everything, and be like, look, I left it all out there. I could sleep good at night. He's a competitor. That's what he do. Mm-hmm. I've got an answer for you on that. But first, let's check in with Steve DeSager, see what's going on out there in the sports world. What's up, Steve? Howdy. You Darvish on the mound for the Cubs, the guy who's starting a six-year contract with Chicago, $126 million guaranteed. It's been a rough start to his first year as a Cubby. 0-3, ERA over 5.5, and, and he's facing Cincinnati, the worst team in the National League. 16-31, and the record. Reds have bases loaded, two outs in the bottom of the first. For the moment, it is scoreless. At Fenway Pack in Boston, it's the Red Sox up 1-0 over the Orioles now, bottom of the second, on a home run from J.D. Martinez, his 14th of the year. A's lead 1-0 at Toronto in the bottom of the second. Former Blue Jay Jose Bautista was released by the Braves today, just signed with Atlanta last month, and went 5-35 at the plate. The Dodger pitcher last night, lefty Rich Hill, lasted two uh, two pitches in the first inning. He was placed on the DL today. He'll miss it least a month with another finger injury. Of course, NBA playoffs continue tonight. West Final, Houston at Golden State. Series tied at a game apiece. Coming up in an hour and a half in the NHL Vegas at Winnipeg. This West Final could be over today. The expansion, Golden Knights are leading the series three games to one. USA Hockey won the bronze medal game at the World Championships 4-1 over Canada. A long weather delay at Gulf's Byron Nelson in Dallas. The leaders won't be on the course for hours. And former Heisman Trophy winner Billy Cannon passed away at the age of 80. Back to you. It's Chris Garan, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you live from the GEICO Fox Sports Radio studios. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Karan, you're out in Milwaukee this week. The Bucks made a new coaching hire, getting probably the best guy uh, on the coaching market. Mike Budenholzer, former coach of the year, led the uh, Hawks uh, deep into the playoffs for several years, was let go. Uh, by Milwaukee or by uh, Atlanta after last season, pursued by Toronto, signs with Milwaukee, and now the Bucks have themselves an experienced coach to work with their young guys and Giannis and probably Jabari Parker, Chris Middleton, uh, you know uh, Malcolm Brogdon. What do you think of Budenholzer getting hired out there? Uh, look, I think it's a good look. 
I really do. And and what I really like about it is that they sat down with, you know, Giannis and Chris Middleton, some of the longest tenured, uh, you know, Bucks players, and obviously the future of the Bucks, and those guys, and you know, especially Giannis and. You know, look, that they they headed in the right direction. I felt like they had to hit a home run. I I, I wouldn't say it was a home run, but it was definitely a a, a two base hit. And uh, look forward to seeing what happens. You know, with the organization going forward. You know, I tell you, watching these conference playoffs, I start to wonder if Milwaukee and Philadelphia could be in some trouble because. You know, the Celtics, they're going to get their two All-Stars back, right? And if you're Danny Ainge, you're going to be proactive on the trade market. You've got a probable top 10 pick coming your way next year in terms of the Sacramento Kings pick that the Celtics will get, as long as it's not uh, number one. Uh, You know, Milwaukee's got a great star player in Giannis, but they've got some tough decisions to make. They've got some salary cap situations. Uh, Philadelphia, a very good team, made a huge jump this year. But I look at both these teams, Karan, and what I saw in the playoffs and what they, these teams could be moving forward, they could wind up being you know, kind of what the Rockets are in the Western Conference, a potentially great team, but one that could run into a juggernaut in Boston you know, for the next couple of years. I mean, I'm not sure. Look, Philadelphia's going to get better, right? They're going to add piece to that puzzle. Uh, they've got another top 10 pick themselves this year to use. But the Celtics, without their two stars, beat them in five games. Which team is more likely to be better next year, Boston or Philadelphia? The Celtics beat Milwaukee in seven without Kyrie Irving, without Gordon Hayward. Which team is more likely to be better next year, Boston or Milwaukee? You know, as long as the Celtics stay healthy, which again, right now, is a big if, but if the Celtics stay healthy, they're going to run the East for the next five years. And the Bucks and the uh, Sixers could wind up being the bridesmaid in each one of those years. Listen, everybody knows that the the, the future for the Bucks, they, they're building something extremely special, dynasty-style special. And what you see with the Philadelphia 76ers, which you touched on, the best thing that happened to them is that they lost to the Boston Celtics. Because now... You're not getting that that first go-around praise and, look, we're better than everybody from a talent standpoint. So now what is Ben Simmons going to do? I I mean, I hope he does this, but I hope he's in the gym right now working on the breakdown of his jump shot, correction, and and building it up. So now he's a threat from 17 on in, 18 on in, 19 on in, on the perimeter where he can stick a a catch-and-shoot shot. And then now that's going to open up all his games. So the development of those guys is going to be through the roof. Markel Folks is going to be added to the roster. So that's like adding the addition of a whole other player. And then they're going to get somebody in free agency or add the guys back who they already have existing. So they're going to be better, that camaraderie and everything. And they feel like they're the, the team on the rise. Boston is the team on the rise. Milwaukee is, you know, in a bad spot. Like I put them in the same spot as you have a Washington or something like that. Mm. Great talent. Two or three guys on there that can play at a high level, and they have to play at that level night in and night out for you to have some real success. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where they kind of fit into this puzzle because Milwaukee, you're gonna have to make a decision on Jabari Parker, right? I mean, Parker sooner than later. Yeah, sooner than later, he's gonna be a restricted free agent this summer. Does somebody go out there and give him big money? If they do, do you match that kind of offer? Offer Parker and put yourself in some salary cap hell. Brogdon's contract. Uh, is coming up. They've got to find unique ways to get better because Boston showed during this postseason that even if they don't have the best player on the floor, they can win these series. In the case of Philadelphia, there were times when they didn't have the top two guys on the floor, depending on what you thought of what Ben Simmons can do. But look, you probably know better than I do 
who is considered the best shooting coach in all of basketball. If I'm the Philadelphia 76ers, I'm making that shooting coach the highest paid assistant coach in all of basketball because you got two guys there. In Simmons, who's got a broken jump shot, and Markel Fultz, who's got a broken something going on there. You get to hire the best shooting coach out there to work with these guys all summer. Because if these guys can be even competent, I'm not talking about great, competent three-point shooters, they can be all-star level players next year. But if they can't, this could be a, a repeat of the same process next postseason. They better call the shock doctor. They better call Dave Hopla. Dave Hopla. I remember Dave Hopla. Get Dave on the line ASAP. Yeah. You need him. You need him on the line ASAP. <laughs> Get that form together. Yeah, I Jeez. remember Dave Hopla. Chip England, too, another guy that should be on that list if you can pry him out of uh, San Antonio. All right, it's Chris and Karan here, Fox Sports Radio. Uh, 877-996-6369 is the phone number if you want to weigh in. 877-996-6369. We come back. I do want to talk about Johnny Football, uh, the uh, ex-Texas A&M star, Heisman Trophy winner, former NFL first-round draft pick. The I mean, next phase of his to. career, yeah, next phase of his career, Karan, going to the CFL. Got to go play for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Is that the right move for Johnny Manziel? We'll talk about that next. Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio. Progressive's new Home Quote Explorer was built to save you time and money by allowing you to compare multiple quote options all online. So head to Progressive.com today and see if you can save. It's Chris and Karan here, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Karan Butler. So Karan, Johnny Manziel is going back to football. Manziel last played in a professional game, uh called the NFL professional December 27 2015 so it's almost but over two years two and a half years since Johnny Menzel played uh in competitive football he's going to go back he's going to play in the CFL presumably he's going to play for the Hamilton Tiger Cats the team that has his rights that's still being worked out I think as we speak but you know look this is a good move for Menzel because look he had a pro day he worked out for some teams uh, a lot of teams watched him play. They interviewed him afterwards, but nobody had any interest because in addition to Johnny Manziel you know, being a first-class doofus off the field for the most of his time in the NFL, he didn't prove he could play. You know, He's a great college player, but he's undersized, doesn't have a huge arm necessarily. Uh, he's going to have to prove it. And going to the CFL is the best alternative to playing NFL football. So I like the move for Manziel. Do you? Yeah, I, I mean, look, it, it's going to keep him active, and it's a humbling experience, right? Because, you know, Johnny is a guy that's, you know, been on the big stage and somewhat, you know, privileged for the majority of his career, and, and he says some humbling things about what he expected, and, you know, he's willing to grind and work harder and, and be a better version of himself. So now he humbles himself and go to this league and, and, and work his way up eventually, and, and 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 hopefully have a shot at it, you know. So you know you can you can uh, you know tip your hat off to him and you know show him love and respect on that on that uh, aspect of his game. I think one thing that people have to remember is that the CFL is a tough place to play. Like mm. there have been a lot of ex college stars that have gone there and had good careers, but not been the standout players they were uh, in the NCAA. So Johnny Manziel just going to Hamilton is not necessarily an automatic gateway to going back to the NFL. He's going to have some tough competition when he gets there. I mean, there's some good quarterbacks already on that roster. 
uh, in Hamilton. Everett Golson is a former quarterback, uh, still a college star playing on that roster. Uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli was the leading passer for that team next year, so he's going to have to earn playing time right away. And the physicality of the CFL, it's not the same as the NFL, but it's pretty tough. Uh, the level of play defensively in the CFL is pretty tough. I mean, not everybody goes to the CFL and becomes Doug Flutie. That's the comp that people are making with Manziel. Doug Flutie, one of the great CFL players of all time, similarly sized to Manziel. He played great out there, similar style maybe to Manziel, but he's going to have to earn his his, his way through, uh, Karan, because I, I don't think he goes there right away and sets that league on fire. Yeah, he's going to have to go out there and be efficient. You know, he's going to have to start off from scratch and, you know, gain the respect of his peers and obviously his teammates and, you know, uh, the organizations and people that scout him. You know, he's going to have to show the deficiencies that he did have, you know, when he was on a professional level. Did he improve in those areas? Because let's face it, every time he stepped out there, he wasn't as efficient. He didn't look the same. He tried to play the same style of basketball, uh, football that he played, you know, on the collegiate level. And um, that's that's not a recipe for success for him, you know, in a professional. So, you know, hopefully he's able to make that transition. I don't know if you can trust Johnny Menzel either, because Still. you know, going into the draft process, uh, he said all the right things. He stayed out of the spotlight. He convinced teams that he was a changed guy from the player he was in his last year at Texas A&M, and then he gets into the pros. And he goes back to being that guy. So just because he's being well-coached by an agent or a PR firm, that doesn't mean anything to me. He's going to have to go through a full year of being a good soldier. And if I'm an NFL team, unless I'm just bringing him in as a flyer, a training camp type flyer, I wouldn't give him any kind of significant contract unless he can do it for two years in the CFL. So... It's going to be a long road for Manziel. I'm sure he's going to want back in the NFL soon, and maybe there's a team crazy enough out there that wants to do it for the publicity. But for Johnny Manziel, he's got a lot to prove to me, and I think a lot of other NFL teams. We'll talk more about Manziel. Of course, LeBron James, Cavaliers, they win. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio, Chris Mannix, Yahoo Sports, Karan Butler, two-time All-Star NBA champion, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote today. A little bit later on, I'm going to replay our interview with Mark Wahlberg, the actor. He's been in some great sports movies in the past, Invincible, uh, The Fighter. He'll be in another one. This guy named Karan Butler, his story being told on the big screen. You excited about that, Karan? You uh you know, I know you wrote the book and your story's kind of out there, but yeah, I never actually asked you either. How did you get involved with the movie business here? How did you get approached on your story going to the screen? It was crazy because, you know, me me and Mark was already friends, you know, and you know, we, we became friends, uh, you know, just uh bumped into each other from a mutual friend and um, you know, Rick just kind of connected us and you know, the years kind of, you know, flown by and I was working on the project and he heard that I had a book out what was coming out. And he, you know, he's like, let me let me read it. Like, let me get a chance to read the, the rough draft of it, you know, because I never really dove into my story or anything like that around him. You know, we were just friends from, you know, just having things in common. You know, we love sports and things like that. And we're family people. And once he got the, the book and he read it. He was just like, bro, it's amazing. Like, let's 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 turn this thing into a film. And I was just like, mic drop. Like, I was just, you know, I didn't know what to say, what to do, because, you know, Mark is old school. You know, his word is everything. And 
Um, you know, he called me, and then, you know, he kind of reiterated it. When he uh, hit me back, like, a couple days later, he FaceTimed me, and he was like, yo, bro, we doing this. Like, we're going to make it happen. Let's, you know, it's going to take a process. And, you know, the process is now, you know, coming into light where, you know, we, we're up in production, you know, at the end of this year and, you know, have something on the screen, you know, uh, sometime uh, early next year. So it's just it's amazing to go through this process and uh, – it's, it's nothing like it, man. I'm, I'm forever grateful, and I know this is going to be impactful to so many lives, you know, out there from different people who walks of life that's going through the struggle, through the grind and everything. So we could do a whole show, I mean, on your story in general, but the, the, when you're doing a movie and you only got like 90 minutes, two hours, maybe a little bit more, you got to leave some stuff out, right? I mean, what, what part of your story is this telling? That, listen, it's telling. It's, it's talking a lot about my teenage years and about the sacrifice of my family coming up from Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, my grandmother being on the cotton fields uh, where we grew up. Um, my mom working multiple jobs, being on the assembly line here in Racine, Wisconsin. I was raised by I was raised by five women. Uh, the men in my life, my two uncles, was incarcerated. They wasn't there. I was arrested multiple times, which people know. Uh, convicted of a drug charge, uh, a gun charge. Uh, I went to jail, and it's a lot of other things that happened during that process that enabled me not to be in the state of Wisconsin. But it initially led to my journey of me going to prep school and to college in another state, and eventually being in the NBA. You know, but you know, it's it's a story about uh, you know just being determined, being dedicated, being disciplined. But most importantly, it's a story about my family. A lot of people behind the scenes just don't know that the sacrifices and the generation of prayer, uh, you know, came into fruition. You know, when uh, Wahlberg played Vince Papali in Invincible back in the, uh, I think it was 2007. Amazing. uh, Papali actually had a cameo. Uh, in that movie, on the sidelines of uh, of one of the football games, the actual Vince Papali, are you getting a cameo in your own movie? Oh, absolutely! I it, being in some 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 way, form, or facet. You know, um, like like Mark said, you know, we're doing this thing together. We're partners, um, and you know, I look forward to this. You know, bringing the story to light. You know, and you know, I definitely make some type of uh, appearance, but I'm no actor. You know, uh, I'm just I just want to see the story told. And, you know, I'm with the best in the business at getting that done. Can I play an assistant coach in the Wizards locker room when Gilbert Arenas brought the guns out? <laughs> Actually, you know, that that's another scene that we're not even using. We're I would not imagine even doing. Not, yeah. Yeah, but hey, well, you definitely could play an assistant coach uh, from the <laughs> University of Connecticut or something. There we go. There we go. I'll be on Calhoun's staff. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Uh, all right. A lot more to want to get into with uh, with you today, Karan. We're going to replay that interview with Mark Wahlberg a little bit later in the show. You can hear more about uh, Karan's story and, of course, the movie that's going to uh, mirror it. Uh, coming out at some point next year. But I'm here in Cleveland. You're out there in Milwaukee. Uh, Cavaliers win last night, and it was as impressive a performance as you can ask for uh, from Cleveland. 116-86. Uh, it was basically over five minutes into the first quarter. And you know in games like this, Karan, that you're going to get uh, the best shot from a team when you're down two zip. When a team goes home and they're in a hole, you're going to get their best shot. Boston just saw that a couple of rounds ago when they played against Milwaukee. They were up two zip on the Bucks. They went to Milwaukee for game three. They got spanked in that one, too. Gave up 116 points in that game. This one, though, 
felt a little bit different. This one looked like they got the best of the Cavaliers. And the Cavaliers aren't the Bucs, right? The Bucs are a good team who, in that series, in Giannis, had the best player on the floor. But Giannis is 23 years old. They went up against LeBron in this game, and LeBron had a double-double. He played great. But they got great games from J.R. Smith. They got a quality game from George Hill. Kyle Korver was making his threes. Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson dominated the glass. This felt, Karan, more like the Cleveland team that we saw in the second round against Toronto, not the team we saw in the first two games this series. When you watched the game last night, what did you take away from it? Uh, That's exactly what I saw. I saw a team that, you know, that was playing energized, that was playing enthused, and, you know, found some type of form of confidence outside of the LeBron factor. And that's a huge factor. But, you know, finding a rhythm and a flow to your game without your best player having to do every absolute everything is just amazing. And, like, he could resort to, you know, playing defense and rebounding the ball and scoring the ball because he didn't have to do everything else. The other guys was reliable this time. And I think that, you know, J.R. Smith did an excellent job of, you know, bringing that to the attention. Like, look, we have to make it so he don't have to be extra special every night, you know, and that's a lot. He don't have to be a superhero every night. That's a lot to put on him. And they did an excellent job of just stepping up to the plate, all of them collectively, like we touched on, 89 points from the others. That's huge. Yeah. I, I wonder what happened to Boston this one. Did they just get too big for their britches in this one, like you've suggested, or um, is there a deeper problem there? I mean, is did we see a Cavs team that on paper – uh, you has the best player in this series, Kevin Love, a multi-time All-Star. Smith has been to the finals a bunch of times now. I mean, they've got this experience, whereas Boston, you just can't overlook the fact, and it's been easy to do this because they've been so good these playoffs, but you can't overlook the fact that their, you know, their swing positions are manned by a 21-year-old in Jalen Brown and a 20-year-old in Jason Tatum. That Al Horford is being asked to play a lot of center, a position that he's not entirely comfortable with. That Marcus Morris is kind of playing over his head. Marcus Morris had a, had a great game, one Karan, but the last two, not very good. Not very good, especially offensively, where he's really been erratic from uh, uh, from the perimeter. You know. They've been able to overcome what's looked like a talent gap in the first couple of rounds of these playoffs. If they if they get rolled in this game four, I'm not so sure they can stop the momentum that Cleveland's going to have moving forward. Look, you can't rush the judgment though. You know, it's no, a game, right. it's a game by game situation, and you know, even if Boston lose game four, it's the way if they win or lose game four. Yeah, you know, they like, lost game four against Milwaukee, but it was close. Yeah, I think that was uh, that's all you need. Yeah. It's the way they come out and the style that they're playing. Now, now if they're playing in a, a, a less aggressive way, which I don't feel they will, because it like the post game is everything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you have guys come out and you know you asking the questions at post game and guys come out, they be like, "Look, I we don't know what happened," or they give you the false narrative or the false confidence where they like, "Look, we're going to be better game," and then they come out game four and they're even worse because mm-hmm. their confidence is. You know, it's not inflated as it once was. I don't see that with these young Celtics. I feel like when you go down personnel by personnel, besides LeBron, they're better. Yeah. And I think they know they're better and they feel they're better. And they're well coached. So that's their advantage. But if that creeps in where psychologically they feel like they're not no longer better, that can be the problem. 
I feel like I wonder if psychologically doubt creeps in the Celtics and winning on the road. I mean, Brad Stevens bristles at the idea that Boston is somehow a more vulnerable team when they're on the road. I mean, he points out that they were uh, one of the they were very, not one of the best, but they were very good on the road during the regular season. But the fact is, they're one in five now in the road. Uh, on the road in the playoffs. Terry Rozier is a different type of player when he's playing on the road. Jalen Brown had maybe his worst game of the postseason uh, in this uh, uh, this game last night. They're just, uh, you know, maybe the youth of this team that just it catches up to them on the road, but they're a different team. The problem is that if you get beaten two games by Cleveland, you give a team that's been to three straight conference finals, that's won a championship, some momentum. And that's different than giving Philadelphia some momentum. They're giving Milwaukee some momentum. This is a championship team in Cleveland. At least the core of it has won a championship. You give them this game four and they win convincingly, I don't think Boston wins this series. You're right about the way they lose, right? If they lose by a couple of points uh, in Cleveland and they're able to correct some of the things they did wrong in Game 3, that's one thing. But if they get rolled one more time, I think that's more than enough momentum for the Cavs to win the series. Chris, that's coaching at his finest right there. If I'm Brad Stevens right now in film session today, I am talking about that. I am getting that story out more often than it's supposed to be out there. Look, our team can't win on the road. They can't come on the road and be consistent. They're great at home, but they just can't win on the road. That is my message to my young Thundercats. Mm. You know, and and, and they're going to go. So you out tell there. them that. You, you, yeah. you point that out. Okay. Look, guys. Look, I know. Look, we just got to we got to fight. We got to come out here with a different mindset, make it a possession ball game. But look, I know we're not going to win this game. We're not going to win game four because you guys just can't win on the road. Show, prove me wrong. Show me that we can win on the road. Because I know that home will take care of itself because you guys play offensively. Y'all engage. The crowd keep you engaged. It's basketball fans and lovers that understand the game. They're going to stop the runs. They're going to boo you when you're not playing right. So you're going to be policed by some of the best fans in all the sports. But on the road, you guys have a problem. You cannot win on the road. Now that's the problem where now you got them saying, I'll show you. Let let us show him that we can win on the road. We can do this. And when they do that, if they're able to do that and pull it off in game four, that this series look favorable for the Celtics. You know, look, Ty, Ty Lue gets treated like the lesser of two the two coaches in this series, but I thought he made a couple of really good adjustments uh, in game three. The first was getting overly aggressive on Jalen Brown. He said after the game that they had been noting that Brown – uh, really gets it going in the first quarter. He's probably Boston's best first quarter player. And they made, went out of their way to make sure that Jalen Brown saw a lot of bodies. They stuck LeBron on him early. They made sure he chased him off that three-point line, made him put the ball uh, on the floor. And that really took Jalen Brown out of his rhythm. The foul trouble did, too. Picked up two early fouls. I think that negatively affected him. But Jalen Brown only had two points in that first half. That changed the dynamic of the game uh, right away. The other part of it was they defended Al Horford much better. They, they stayed a little bit smaller on Horford. They didn't put Thompson on him necessarily. Uh, they were mixing and matching and, and doing some good things on Al Horford. So uh, you got to give credit where it's due, uh, Karan. Ty Lue, uh, you know, considered outcoached by Brad Stevens the first two games. He had a good coaching night last night. He's still a champion. Yeah, he he's done it, and 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 look, this this is this is how it works. Everything's trending. Every is everything is like the the, the 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 now. Like that's what people feel like. What's now? What's what's next? Like LeBron's been great for so long. Everybody's like, all right, who's next? Who? What's what's the next thing? What's the next best thing? Look, 
Ty Lue is a guy that took over during the course of the season and was able to win the championship. He made adjustments. He understands the game of basketball. Former player, he's been in the locker room on different stages, on the bench, in the locker room, playing as a player, playing against some of the greats. So he understands the, the, the layers of this game. So you cannot put that past him. But this is an up-and-coming guy in Brad Stevens. He's hungry. He's making adjustments on the fly also. And he has a talented young roster to move and mix pieces as he please. So this is this is great watching as a basketball fan and a lover, a guy that really loves and understands the game of basketball and the game within the game. I'm loving the adjustments that's taking place. Huge game four coming up for Cleveland. I mean, they they don't even the series, everything they accomplished on Saturday night goes out the window, but an equally big game for Boston because they cannot get smoked in back-to-back games uh, in Cleveland. All right, 877-996-6369 is the phone number. 877-996-6369. We come back. I do want to talk about the Western Conference Finals. Golden State and uh, Houston tied up at one as that series shifts back to Oakland. Which Houston team is going to show up later tonight? We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the hour. We'll replay our interview with actor Mark Wahlberg. He joined the show in the first hour. We'll bring that back to you later this hour. It's Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio. It's Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Karan Butler. Great news. There's a quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. About 10 minutes from now, I'm going to replay our interview with Mark Wahlberg, the actor who's uh, uh, acting and producing in the story about our co-host here, Karan Butler. Get to him about 10 minutes uh, from now. A little bit later on tonight, though, Karan, we got Game 3, Houston-Golden State. Rockets pulled out Game 2. Golden State played great in Game 1. Which of these two teams is going to show up the right way in Game 3? I mean, a lot of people just sort of pointing to Golden State saying, look, they got home court advantage now. They got Durant. They got Curry. You can't beat Golden State 4 out of 7 anyway. And the Rockets are an isolation-heavy offense. I'm telling you, I'm not as convinced as others that the Rockets can't win this series. Because I look at Steph Curry, and I see a player that... I don't want to say he's a shell of his former self, but I see a guy that clearly isn't 100% right. Now, maybe some of that is rust, only uh, playing, what, like four games since coming back from that knee injury. Maybe the knee injury is still an issue. Maybe conditioning is still an issue. Maybe being targeted all the time by Houston is affecting him. That's number one. Number two, I look at the numbers that Kevin Durant's been putting up these last couple of games, and look, they're great. 70-plus points in two games. He has been the driving force of this uh, Warrior offense. But he had one assist combined in these last two games. And, and that tells me that this Warriors offense, which is predicated on ball movement, right? Like the Golden State prides itself on its ability to pass the ball, to move the ball without dribbling, to do a lot of those things uh, that define their, their offense of the last few years. Kevin Durant with one assist, a guy that averaged five during the regular season, a guy that averaged five during this past series that he played in, that tells me that the door is is more than just a little bit open, Karan, for Houston to win this series. It's all about Steph Curry. Yeah. As all that you said, you know, it's some, it's some truth to all of it, but it's all about Steph Curry and, and his shot-making ability in this series. You know, he has to be efficient. What they're doing is they're isolating him in every situation, uh, particularly with, you know, James Harden and and Chris Paul. 
and he's getting back at them. They're putting, them, they're putting a lot of uh, mileage on them where he's back paddling and they're attacking them as much as possible. And his player usage is crazy. Their mm-hmm. player usage is crazy. And it's through the roof. But on the opposing end, you know, sometimes your offense has to be your defense. And his offense has not been going. He has not been the, his efficient self. And if he's not playing at his best, you know, Golden State is going to have problems. You know, Kevin Durant is going to be special. He's going to score the basketball. They're going to need him to do that. He's going to have to do some facilitating. One assist, not going to cut it, you know, in this series so far. But, you know, other guys don't have to step up in a major way, and they will at home. Others are always better at home. We saw that in the Cleveland's, Cleveland case with the 89 points in Game 3 from the others, and LeBron had to do minimal. But at the same time, they need Steph Curry to be amazing. Not good, amazing tonight. And he'll be really good come game four. Okay, so what about Houston, though, offensively? They took a pretty good beating after game one. People called Mike D'Antoni's offense too isolation heavy. D'Antoni took offense to that. And, you know, he's right to some degree. I mean, they won 65 games during the regular season playing that offense. They beat Golden State in two out of three in the regular season using that offense. Uh, how different does does Houston have to be offensively? Do they have to be the same team they were in game one? Or, or, or what needs to change for them? When you look at the Philadelphia, I'm just going here to make parallels so yeah. in comparison. So you look at the Philadelphia series, and you saw Ben Simmons. Everybody's going under on pick and rolls and uh, whatever. Oh yeah, was he going to develop a jump shot at some point in the series? Uh no. All right. So the same. It's, here's the same parallel that I have with the Houston Rockets. They have been successful playing this style in this way. Chris Paul made a seamless transition over there to Houston, where he's able to coexist with James Harden in an amazing way. They're in the conference finals, his first ever in the history of him playing the game of basketball. Mm. So if they're playing a certain way and they had all this success, the real problem in Achilles' heel is what always has been the problem in the Achilles' heel for any D'Antoni team. Defense. They have to play defense. If you hang your hat on the defensive end of the floor, you're going to score points. They score 50-plus points in a quarter Mm. against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They can score points. They can score with the best of them, and the best of them being the Golden State Warriors. Everybody built their team to knock them down if you want to be a real competitor in the association. Chris Paul, James Harden has to continue to be aggressive, Player usage has to be high. Eric Gordon's going to have to be special. He is the X factor for that team. Green, others have to make shots. Uh, P.J. Tucker to give them the space to create. Capella's going to have to be active. Activity. Not mean scoring all the time, but just his activity in that paint on the defensive end and offensively making himself available is going to cause problems. Do you think, you know, you mentioned Steph Curry a couple of minutes ago, and and I kind of rattled off all the things that could be wrong with Steph Curry, you're talking about him making shots, but do you think it, there's rust on him in this series? Do you think that there's the injury still playing a role? What do you watch him? What do you see? I, I see a guy that's struggling to get a rhythm, and it, and it's really coming down to him, you know, on the defensive end of the floor. Look, he's not going to be a stopper. He never was. He he's a guy that you know uh, you you try to uh, hide him as much as possible because you relied upon him so much from the offensive end. And you didn't want him to get in foul trouble. And the way he's playing defense, and you look at him particularly, uh, he he got his hands out, and he's like funneling you to what? Like no mm-hmm. one's at the nail, whether they at the free throw line nail or if they the opposing guy coming over backside to help. No one's there. Like he's giving you a clear path. Like instead of bodying you up, and if you happen to get by, 
someone is there for you. But he's showing no resistance on the defensive end on the floor. And, it, and when he is, he's finding himself on the ground a lot. Chris Paul has caught him with a couple moves where he stumbled and tumbled. I know he's going to take that personal. If I was uh, one of the veteran guys in that locker room, David West or someone, I'll show him that repeatedly. Like, look, man, these dudes are putting you on an island and calling you out on the defensive end of the floor. Show him the Chef Curry that we all know that you can be. You know, get him re-motivated and, and, and re-engaged into this series. And I'm pretty sure Draymond and all those guys are rallying around him and showing those things because if he wake up and he's the Chef Curry that we all know that he can be, you can cancel Christmas. Game over. Can he be – I mean, what what kind of defensive player does he have to be, though? Because, look, Houston's doing the right thing. I this mean, solid. This solid, Chris. Like, mm-hmm. this solid. Can he like, be that? Yeah. Yes. He's okay. done it in the past. Like, just be solid. Like, yeah, but Cle- that's what Cleveland did to them. Like, Cleveland, <laughs> w- when they went up against Golden State, they targeted Steph Curry all the time. Man, he has to be solid, though. He, even with Kyrie Irving, one of the best guys with the ball in his hand that I've seen over years, you know, he was solid enough. With yeah. him. Last year he was, yeah. Yeah, when, when he got switched out on him, he was solid. You know, like Kyrie's going to score on anyone. Like, one-on-one, can't nobody guard him. But just make it difficult. Make him pivot, pivot, go one way, go to other. Like, make it difficult so now the help can actually come and help you. We're seeing this, like, blink, blow-bys. Like, just, like, no resistance whatsoever. And, look, you have to show some type of resistance. Like, you're not even in foul trouble yet, and you letting, like, you're playing the touch game where you just letting guys go right by you. Like, you can't have that. And I know Steve Kerr has addressed it, and, you know, anybody who hasn't, they're not serious about winning. Like, if he plays any form of defense and get them making some shots, like, game is over. Like, the, the Warriors are going to be in the finals. Yeah. It's Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio. In a couple minutes, we're going to check in with Mark Wahlberg, the actor who's part of Karan Butler's story. It's going to be on the big screen uh, about a year or so uh, from now. It goes into production later on this year. But first, let's check in with Steve DeSager, see what's going on out there. Hey, Steve. Howdy. Brief note on golf at the Byron Nelson. Bad weather today in Dallas, but the long weather delay is finally over. The leaders won't be on the course for another hour. Mark Leishman tied for the four-shot lead. And this is a guy who shot 61 first round, and he's still not clear. As for the busy baseball schedule at Boston, end of four, Red Sox lead 1-0 over the Baltimore Orioles on the 14th homer of the year from J.D. Martinez. Oakland still up 1-0 at Toronto, top of the fifth. Former star of the Blue Jays, Jose Bautista, was released by the Atlanta Braves today. They just signed him last month. The Chicago Cubs have 0-3. U Darvish on the mound. He struggled in the first inning, but now he's up 3-1 with two outs in the bottom of the fourth. Couple men on against Cincinnati. Couple home for Chicago to get them the lead. At Pittsburgh, Pirates a 1-0 lead over the Padres in the top of the fourth. And the Diamondbacks still leading 1-0 at the Mets, bottom of the fifth against Noah Syndergaard. The Dodgers are underway at Washington. L.A. pitcher Rich Hill lasted all of two pitches because of another finger injury last night. He was placed on the DL today. He'll miss at least a month with that injury. Dodgers are up 1-0 in the third at Washington. NBA playoffs continue tonight with Houston at Golden State. NHL playoffs in a half an hour at Vegas trying to close out Winnipeg in game number five. Rafael Nadal was the clay court winner at the Italian Open. Eighth time he's won that tournament in his career. Back to you. It's Chris and Karan here on Fox Sports Radio, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studio. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. So earlier in the show, 
Uh, Mark Wahlberg, the actor, you know, from some great sports movies like Invincible, The Fighter, of course. He was an Academy-nominated actor in that one. Uh, a little bit later on this year, he's going to start in production on the story of uh, our co-host here, Karan Butler, his life story that will come out at some point next year. So I asked him what made him want to be part of the Karan Butler story. Uh, well, Karan and I became friends before I'd actually heard his story. And then uh, once I realized you know, how interesting and colorful his background was, I thought, wow, what a great opportunity for me to play a really interesting and different part and also to, uh, you know, to tell Karan's story and inspire other kids to go out there and never give up. You probably get a lot of, of sports roles like this or things like this pitched to you. What stood out about this one? Well, you know I'm not playing Karan, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> You're too short, right? That's the thing? That's the... Uh, but, uh, you know, it was it just the, the, the whole story. I mean, for me, obviously, playing this police officer in Wisconsin is a great, great part. Um, he's, not, he's not like, you know, the great white hero. This is a guy who, uh, who had a lot of issues and things like that, of that nature. But it's a very interesting story, and it's just a very dramatic story with, with a great ending. Um, that I think just makes for a perfect movie. I mean, for me, I always gravitate towards true stories. Uh, and, you know, nothing more inspiring than what, what Karan had to go through and how different his life could have been. And it's very, very true when it comes to, to my life as well. You know, if I, uh, if I didn't get a couple of breaks from a couple of key people, um, you know, I would definitely not be in the position I'd be in today. It Most is a great ending, Karan. You get to do a radio show with me, you know. that's, that's Yeah, and then I get to have my, my big brother come on and answer all these questions, which is amazing. Uh, big bro, thanks for coming on the show. And, you know, we was talking about the Celtics and them just emerging as the Eastern Conference favorite early, and I had Philly beating them in the last series. What did you see out of these young Celtic players that, you know, that's emerging right now in the Eastern Conference Finals? I told you in my trailer, <laughs> and he said there's no way. You know, they're just playing, they're just playing, you know, uh, basketball. They're having fun, you know. I think, uh, you know, Coach Stevenson obviously had a great strategy to shut down Ben Simmons and kind of frustrate him and putting putting different players on him that wouldn't normally cover him and allow him to play his game and force him to shoot outside. And they just, you know, they're playing great. I mean, obviously last night probably has everybody thinking, and I always felt like even though we were up two, I mean, if we don't get one in Cleveland, it's going to be a problem. That being said, the Celtics haven't played good on the road, but you know uh, they're not where they're, they're not supposed to be where they are right now. But they continue continuing to look great, and you know when they got people back and healthy, I think it's going to be really really interesting. The East, it's just nice to see the East uh, being relevant again to a certain extent. No doubt. Do you have the Celtics winning this series in six or seven or not at all? I I still I think you know I think after the the the, the butt whooping that they took last night I think they could come back and if they get into the right kind of dogfight I think they could steal one in Cleveland if they steal one in Cleveland they're they're going uh, they're going to win in five if not it's going to be a seven game series Ooh. so and then I mean it just you know again you want to let LeBron score forty five fifty points that's fine as long as we can you know prevent these other guys from from having an impact. Uh, you know, which they were able to do the first two games. It'd be interesting to see. I'm just happy that they're there. You know, they're there. They're playing well. You know, you see how how great a basketball mind Danny Ainge is, and, and how, how great Coach Stevens is. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. And it's going to be interesting to see because I I don't know if Kyrie was playing if they'd be playing this good. You know, I think he likes the ball a little bit more. These guys are sharing the ball. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, they, they they make a lot of moves so. I mean, I absolutely love Kyrie, and, you know, he's been fantastic. But 
be interesting to see what they do. You have to tell me about this movie, Mile 22. You just filmed. It's coming out soon. Uh, what role did you play, and you know what's the character to get us all in theaters to watch it besides you and your amazing team? Well, I tell you, I play one of the craziest. It's the craziest role that I've ever played. I, it kind of reminds me more of like a Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. You know, I have a job. I don't care who's right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, I got to go and I got to do my job. And with Overwatch, you know, you have you have the military, you have diplomacy, and then if everything else fails, these guys come in. And these guys are not, you know. Uh, leave no man left behind there. Leave any and every man left behind. And a lot of these guys don't end up coming home. So it's kind of this cool uprising in this third world country. We have to basically decide who lives and who dies and, and uh, while trying to get this guy out of the country and save, uh, prevent a, a terrible terrorist attack. But it's a very kind of, it's not the kind of usual hero, uh, brooding kind of dark hero who doesn't talk much. This guy is a very in your face and, and very explosive. So it's exciting to play a character like that. We're talking to Mark Wahlberg, actor. He's part of the Karan Butler story. He joins us here uh, on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Mark, whenever I see, whenever I'm at the Garden, I see Donnie Wahlberg there. Uh-huh. Is he the official uh, Wahlberg emissary to the Celtic games? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't miss a game. You know, I, I'm here. I live in L.A. I got four kids, and I've been working so much that you know, for me to say, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to fly home to go to a basketball <laughs> game," that's not going to go over well. Um, that being said, if the Celtics go to the finals, we will probably try to go with my wife and, and sons up to, uh, to to hopefully Golden State to see the finals. But uh, you know, we'll see what the Rockets what, what the Rockets are going to do today. He's Donnie's dedicated though. I see him in Indiana. I see him in Milwaukee. He's yeah. like traveling with the team these days. Yeah, he is. He got a lot of time on his hands, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. You know, Mark, I'm a Boston guy too, and I mean, I have memories going to the old Boston Garden and you know, kind of sneaking in at times, you know, sitting in obstructed view seating. Uh, growing up in the area, do you have any memories of of that old garden? Oh, of course. You know, I tried to apply for a job as a ball boy. Oh, hey, hey, hey big bro, he took your job because Chris I, was the ball boy. I was what? a ball boy with the Celtics <laughs> for eight years. Wow, I, I didn't even get a response. I think they whiffed on uh, on that one. I didn't Not, even get a response. But then I did have an opportunity early on to buy a minority stake in the team. I just wasn't in a position to. I wish I did that. Dang. That was a much bigger regret. I can I can tell you, Mark, what you did wrong with the ball boy application. Um, the, the staff of ball boys there, this was in the 1990s, the staff of ball boys there were all sons of police officers. And my huh. father was a Boston cop, and uh, for some reason... You know, the the guy that hired him wanted to have uh, a bunch of cops' kids on his payroll. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I put, it was probably like uh, mid mid to late '80s that I applied. Mm. By the time I was in the, in the '90s, I was off kind of doing my thing. It was a great job. <laughs> yeah, man. I wanted the free. I wanted the gear. Yeah. I wanted yeah. the gear, but no, no, no. The excitement around the garden, both with with the Celtics and the Bruins, and then Fenway. I mean, Boston is one of the great sports towns of all time. And the Patriots kind of. You know, took it to another level. We'll get you out of here with this. Um, uh, you know, you, you've starned in some movies where you've you know gone back to your Boston accent. I've, I, as someone from the area, I, I've I've watched guys try to do the Boston accent and struggle with it at times. The best Boston accent from an actor not from Boston, and the worst Boston accent from an actor not from Boston. Mm, well, the it's it's too tough to pick the worst because there's so many. Um, the best, I don't know. I would have to. You know, actually, there was a there was a thing. Seth Meyers did this thing about yeah. all the Boston movies. His accent was pretty good, 
but not no not I would, there's not a lot of good ones. Um, I just worked with this wonderful actress. I won't say her name, but she um, she was she was in the movie that I was doing. And she was going up to do a, a movie uh, in Maine, but doing a Boston accent. She said she just had such a hard time, and she feels like she failed miserably. But um, sometimes it's smart just to kind of go neutral. I, I remember thought... when we were doing The Departed, Matt Damon and I were sitting there looking at each other, and we're like, you know what's going to happen? We're going to sound like we have the bad Boston accent. <laughs> everybody else is doing their thing. But, um, yeah, sometimes it's better to just go neutral. I thought Sheen really battled in that movie. I, I, his was, was a little rough for me. You know, I think he went a little more uh, JFK. Yeah. You know, he was saying co-op and all this stuff, but, you know. <laughs> what a wonderful actor. And, you know, do you, you don't know this, this, but he came in late. There was another actor playing the role of Captain Queen, and, mm-hmm. and he was replaced after three weeks. And Martin Sheen came in to, 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 to play the role. So he literally got the call, like, the day before, and then came in um, to play that part. Was it... Was it easier for you to hide your accent early on or go back to it later on? Uh, to go back to it. it, was, it you know what? Because when you, you know this as well as anybody, when you leave Boston, yeah. everybody else looks at you like you're from another planet. You know, it's like nails on a chalkboard, that accent. So I had to work really hard to lose the accent, and it's easy to just kind of dive back into it. Yeah, I, I remember I moved to New York after college, and I remember going back to Boston like five, six years later, and you go back to your parents' house, and you hear my mother saying, "Get your car out of the driveway." I'm like, "Did I did I talk like that? Was yeah. that was that real?" Exactly. I just talked to my mother on the way over here. She's uh, you know, felt very 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 strong Boston accent. <laughs> well, Mark, we appreciate your time. We know you're busy today. Good luck on the movie uh, about Quran uh, and his life there. Looking forward to that when it comes out. And uh, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That was Mark Wahlberg, the actor, is going to be uh, producing and acting in the uh, movie about our good friend here, Karan Butler. That's going to go into production later this year and uh, come out next year. Is that right, Karan? 2019? Are we projecting that right now? Yeah, bro. I'm, I'm excited about it, man. Just, you know, it's been uh, an a amazing process, you know, of, you know, getting the script right, uh, making sure that I'm featuring and highlighting the, the things that was most important to me and to my family and, you know, the layers you know, being being honest and truthful and just highlighting all those things, it's it's amazing. When do I get my uh, offer, my my role offer? You ready? You ready for it, buddy? I I have an IMDb page. I was in the movie Real Steel playing a reporter. That was a Hugh Jackman movie about robot boxing, and I was in it. And I have an IMDb page because of it. So I'm seasoned. I'm ready to roll. You ready for this moment? All right, cool, I'm, man. Th- I'm I've got bring you in for auditions. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right a lot more to get to we'll talk some more basketball plus johnny manziel headed back to football the cfl is that the right move for johnny football do that next chris and karan here on fox sports radio on here on fox sports radio the show is brought to you by granger the products and services you need when you need them granger's got your back to help keep your facility running granger the ones who get it done the big baseball news this week, Karan, was Robinson Cano, the uh, Seattle Mariners' second baseman, suspended 80 games for testing positive for a banned substance. Now, we know what baseball's been doing uh, over the last uh, few years, Amp- uh, ramping up the suspensions, increasing the testing, uh, really getting tougher on uh, guys testing positive 
uh, for these banned substances. But you know, we, you you played in the NBA. I've been covering it for a long time. One problem the NBA hasn't had have been guys testing positive for this stuff. Now, we both know there's a lot of guys smoking weed in the NBA. In the league, after you get caught a few times, they ding you for uh, a five-game suspension. But Chris, uh, where did you hear such a thing? <laughs> the weed? <laughs> uh, I may have seen it, like actually seen it with my own two eyes. And uh, you know, anecdotal evidence, I want to I want to say there, Karad. <laughs> yeah. I know you never play with a teammate that did, right? Never. I I, I have never seen it. Never, never. That doesn't it doesn't exist. Not uh, not even hmm. like pregame where some guys have. I've seen guys fishbowling cars pregame. So that's that's uh, let's let's. I'm pretty comfortable saying it happens. It happens out there in the NBA, but the league doesn't get to pop for uh, you know, guys taking PEDs. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that the NBA hasn't had the same problems that football has had, that baseball has had, that other sports like boxing have had? It's a it's a it's an interesting question. I I think that the association, obviously, you know, you test for so many things, and you know, I think guys aren't in that space. You know, uh, marijuana is something that's been openly discussed and something that's been talked about, and people, you know, use that openly, but... And you know, Karan, you know the league is is probably two years away from legalizing that anyway. Absolutely. The NBA is going to be at the forefront of... Once it becomes, you know, legalized in more states, Adam Silver is going to be at the forefront of all this. I don't think marijuana testing is going to be long for the NBA. Yeah, but it has to be in a medical form. Like, it can't be in just like a a recreational usage where, you know, you're going to see guys outside... You know, smoking when you arrive to arena, like what's up? I see you in there in a minute. Like it ain't gonna yeah. be that type. That's of the problem. I mean, that that's what the NBA is. If you ask uh, people in the league office privately about their biggest concern, it is that it opens up the floodgates. I don't think the NBA cares if guys go out after game. Guys go out and drink after games. I don't think the league cares if they go out and smoke. Um, it's the stuff before the game. It's you know, you know, having media smell it on players or uh, uh, fans notice it in players. That's I think what scares the NBA. Yeah, you got to use things in moderation, and then it's it's a thing. It's a such thing as using thing as you know uh, performance, or you need it because you know your 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 aches or whatever from a medical standpoint. But it's also a, a a sign of abuse when you overdo it. So you know it's it's a lot of things and a lot of tape that they got to cross and go through, you know, for that to be a realistic thing. But you know, like you said, you know, two three years from now, I can easily see that happen. But the 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 other stuff, like you played a long time. Were you ever approached about you know performance enhancers? Never. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I don't hear a lot of those stories, and yeah. and even like the off the record stuff, I don't hear a lot of those stories. I mean, maybe I'm blind to it. Maybe it happens, but. You just don't hear about. Oh yeah, we got this, 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 the supplement or this, you know, whatever that could, you know, uh, increase your muscles or stamina and all that stuff. It it was never legal. Like uh, performance enhancement wasn't ever a tolerated or you know a popular thing in our in our space in our sport. You know, whereas you know in you know major league, you know it it was something that was popular. It was something that you know that was uh, you know revisited and you know popular again. You know sometimes it was something that was never like pretty much blackballed out of their space. So you know um, they're still dealing with it, and some of their star players are still you know battling that situation. All right, before we go, who you got tonight? Golden State, Houston. <laughs> oh yeah, Golden State. Okay, yeah, I'm taking Golden State too. I think the Warriors at home. I think it's close. I don't think they blow them out. And I'm very curious to see how they adjust to Steph Curry. But you got to take Golden State. Golden I think State. it's a no-brainer. 
Yeah, it is a no-brainer. All right, we'll be back here next week. Chris and Karan uh, coming to you from Fox Sports Radio. A lot to get to later on in the day, but come back with us next week. Chris and Karan, Fox Sports Radio. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kiwi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.